to all my subjects, Aaron, I hope you find the bravery to come out and expose yourselves and support our Lord and Savior, Aaron Diego. They have tried to question us and silence us and calling us extremists, but we know freedom is important. We are free. Mass comment under this video, show our numbers, because we won't stand to be silenced. They're not gonna SJW us. He's not the monster <laughs> for <world. laughs>
Maybe maybe early on in the Marley arc, it was worse, but... Okay, I have something funny to say about this. So if you look at the chapter poll results at this point, we have um, 1,500 responses. But if you look at rate the chapter, it has 150 more answers than most of the other questions. Somebody actually went through and spammed the poll. Really? Looking at the spreadsheet, somebody went through in the course of 10 minutes and voted. They did it three (laughs) times gave this chapter fives one after another to try to boost that number because oh, really? people cannot handle criticism. Somebody tried to like sway the poll to make the chapter look better than it was, which is so weird to me. Why do they care? Why do you try to like delegitimize people's opinions? It's pretty weird. Yeah. People can't take constructive criticism about something that they love. And as, as someone who's criticizing this chapter, I want to lay it out though that Attack on Titan is one of my favorite pieces of literature ever and that's including books like from Dostoevsky and this story has the ability of reaching a certain part of someone as I'm sure a lot of of you can agree to it's like there's something about this story that resonates across class right there's something about this story fighting for freedom that a lot of people can relate to so when someone like me who loves this story is saying this chapter wasn't good. You have to admit that I'm not acting out of bad faith to be, to, you know, to be edgy or something. Do you get what I'm trying to say? It's like I do think that dogpiling happens. Like I know for me, I'm I'm on Tumblr and regularly share my thoughts, and I don't want to say I'm respected, but you know, a lot of people do come to me to see what I think, and when I say something is bad. You know, I think it's it shocks the community because I've been such historically a champion of the series. Right. And and the only chapter, the only time I've ever disliked a chapter before, I mean, I've had things that I didn't like as much, but the last time I did not like a chapter was 91. So it's been three years since I did not like a chapter. Okay, so the average score is 3.64 without taking into account the spamming. And if you look at 107, that was the last time a chapter tanked. It was the, the pregnancy chapter was the one that's been the lowest. That was 3.73. This is lower than that. And before that, it was uh, 95 and 93 were not good. And 92 was slightly lower rated with a nine, uh, 3.63 and 91 was a 3.4. Right. And the reason for that was because people had thought Marley was only going to be one or two chapters and then suddenly they realized it was going to go on and they were d- devastated. And then it was the RBA flashback of their Walmaria. I think people were just tired of the flashbacks. Like they didn't want to see the story over again. So that's why those performed so badly. I was talking earlier. I was like, this like current trajectory the story is going in, or at least this part, the segment of it, reminds me a lot of like the Ryan of flashback. Yeah. Which is like, it's, I can see why it's necessary. But it's not really engaging storytelling, at least compared to like the stuff we've gotten. Yeah, it's good, but it's just not. It's like a segue, right? When we look at, I'm pretty sure when we're done with the story, if you look at it from like an eagle's ver- like a bird's eye view kind of thing, like objectively, we'll see that these parts were just links further the plot. If that makes sense. I like the Reiner flashbacks. Yeah. Just except the one with Paul Maria because that was pretty much superfluous in my opinion still so but this chapter was just yeah i I gave it a two out of five because 
it's not that I disliked what happened in the chapter. It's more how it all came to pass. I completely agree, especially like this. We can break it down to like the certain like beats of the story that went through mm. the whole Hanji Levi thing. It's like the parts of the story that happened made sense in in the way that if you wrote it like on a storyboard and like this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, it would completely make sense. But the execution of it wasn't up to par yeah. with what Isiyama's used to, and his storytelling like method wasn't the same. I I've seen people make like constant uh, reference to the season eight of Game of Thrones, <laughs> and in, in many ways I agree with him. And like, well, I don't want to fall to I want I don't want to fall subject to the fact that I compare it, and then in my in my mind I start thinking about it like that because it just isn't. But what they were talking about is that scenes were so segmented more than it ever has been in the story. Like one thing happens and then you just jump to something else happening and then a complete time lapse happens and then something happens again. Day turns to night, morning turns to evening and just things keep happening. And then it's like, there's no interconnecting tissue between the, those scenes. It's like, those, is ha- those things have happened before. Think back to the uh, Clash of the Titan arc, while, like while people are searching the walls for holes and then, you know, time passes and then you find yourself at that castle Uskard or whatever it was called. It's like it's not the first time time has passed and not being like shown what happened in between. But it happened so much constantly throughout this chapter that it was just I think the best way to put it is it was disorientating. It's like, can we stick with one thing and let it happen? Think about the Hanji Levi thing. There was so much to dissect there. Like we literally just got to see them like a couple minutes and then boom we're at flock and in the <laughs> oyanka it's like we need time to talk about things that happened or like at least talk about how the people are dealing with what Aaron said the entire chapter happened and we have no idea how levi feels about the rumbling none all, all we heard is oh zeke bad must kill zeke <laughs> like okay we get it but like can you actually give us some time with this character we haven't seen in months so like, we haven't seen him in what ten chapters? Quite a bit. Uh, one fourteen. We haven't seen this character in almost a year. The least we can ask is, while he's on screen or on paper, or whatever, please give us some time to at least dissect how he's dealing with the things that have happened. Like he, we were shown that he saw what happened, what happened with Aaron's announcement to Eldians. So he had no. No reaction. All he did was wake up and was like, oh, where's Zeke? He was treated like he was stuck 10 chapters ago. I think that's the best way to put it. So people who were complaining about Levi being two-dimensional, he's not a two-dimensional character, but he's being treated like a two-dimensional character, if that makes sense. And it's just not fair. He was just like, oh, Zeke bad. I'm going to team up with people who literally hate my guts. <laughs> I didn't have a, as much with a problem with the, the time frame of each thing happening, each scene happening. It's just like with Game of Thrones to keep the reference going. Like in season seven and eight, I felt like the scenes just went by too quickly. 
Like they yeah. could have used more padding out and there was no falling action. And in order to yeah. enjoy something, you have to be able to digest it a little bit. And the the rush from thing to thing with no falling action meant that it all just blurred together. Yeah, exactly. And I remember la- was it last chapter or the chapter before that I was complaining like, oh, all the storylines are going a different way, and now it's like, mm-hmm. oh no, it's all resolved. <laughs> I feel that's that's the one thing I have a problem with. I, I haven't really had this problem with any other chapter prior, so I might disagree with you there, Luna, but the problem I did have with this chapter that something was just resolved was with Connie. It's like, yeah. Connie just randomly, oh, because Armin tried to sacrifice himself. It's like, dude, you literally almost like fed a kid to your mom. <laughs> so how is that suddenly, oh, Armin tried to sacrifice himself to me. So suddenly I feel that oh what i did was bad it's like i understand what connie was feeling and i liked the the build-up to that where he was like by the fire and like asking himself what would slasher think that was a nice bit of characterization for connie but after that it was just like oh suddenly we just need to wrap this up to get everyone together i feel like it was just a tool to move chess pieces along and not really trying to understand how this character would deal with this conflict. Connie deserved better than this. And mind you, I thought if he died trying to save his mom, I feel that would have been a more meaningful and weightful way to deal with a character than making him part of the Avengers like they are <laughs> right now. So for me, that's that's exactly what the problem with the chapter was. Like I think it, talking about the Connie saying the Rakugo village, I think Isayama tried to use that panel of Irwin kind of as a segue to remind us which scene that was with Irwin and why he did what he did. And we were supposed to apply that to Armin, but all of it was missed. And when I looked at that scene with Irwin, exactly what was happening at that moment, Armin's sacrifice made more sense. In fact, Armin's sacrifice at this point might have actually been a gamble. Like he might have been counting on Connie stepping in. I mean, there was probably a lot of things going on in Armin's head, but because there was no chance to really develop that, we don't know. We have to just guess what Armin was thinking. But I think the one that bothered me the most was the reunion of Annie and Armin. I mean, we've had (sighs) chapter after chapter after chapter of Armin stressing out this moment talking to the crystal, what was she going to say, showing fear, all of these expressions on his face, downright panic. And and I literally want to, this, that's the problem, right? You mm-hmm. can't discuss, you know, problems we have with the chapter and not come off like we're just criticizing the whole story as a whole. So to the people listening who might have enjoyed, you know, the light-hearted part of the story that we saw in this chapter, I'm going to extend an olive branch. Like, I understand <laughs> you wanting to see everyone come together to, like, stop Big Bad Aaron, right? I can understand you wanting that because genocide bad. I get that. But think about how Armin reacted when Gabby said Rhino's hardening was, like, came off his body because Aaron has full control. Think about the panic in his face. Think about how he grabbed, like, Gabby asking when exactly did this happen coming to the realization that oh shit and he just came out and he's out of the crystal since he he shouted at mikasa for christ's sake like he literally had a panic attack because on top of like Aaron and all that happening and he's out of the crystal that's one of the things he mentioned so it was such a big thing built up in his head for so long as you mentioned that he was sitting for what we can assume is years 
coming and confiding in Annie, you know, sitting down because he had no one else he could relate to and talk to in that sense. For it to just end with, oh, hey, Annie, no reaction whatsoever. <laughs> ha, 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 pie. She's yeah. eating pie because she hasn't eaten for... It was such a... It felt flat. That's the best way I can put it in the sense that I don't want to criticise the story. I don't want to criticise how he went by it. But I felt like it built up for so long to just plateau, right? There was to no turn climax. it into ha-ha pie, no, yeah. Just, oh, hey, Annie, do you want to join the, the ragtag team? I feel like we needed emotional catharsis for some of these moments, and we haven't mm. gotten yes. it. And it, I equate it to when Aaron and Reiner talked again after four years. Like, I wasn't expecting yeah, Annie that, and that Armin. Build, like, right. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to have quite that same tension and catharsis, but I wanted yeah. a little bit of that. And that, that holds true for a lot of, for the all of the Avengers assembles. Like, there is bad blood there. There's emotions. There's years of agony. When they come together after all this time, even though the situation is critical, I need them mm. to acknowledge what happened. And I think it might be coming. But for me, if, if that Aaron and Reiner reunion had been cut short to two panels, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Oh, hey, Reiner. What's up? And then boom. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect analogy you used there because for people who don't understand our qualms with what happened there, the oil was lighthearted. It was meant to be lighthearted. Imagine how you would have felt if Ryan and, and Aaron met up as he was just walking by, right? And he just said, oh, hey, what's up? Have some pie. Nice to see you after so many. <laughs> Have some pie or something. It was like, I get what you were trying to do, but wrong timing, you know? And Siam has never had that problem of comedic timing. He's always been able to do it in a way that you feel the tension in the situation and also the fact that these characters are able to make fun of themselves. I feel like if anything, he's had the opposite problem where he gets too into the emotions of things happening. And sometimes, like, that's what I love about the series is, is some of these explorations and the tension between the characters. And, and that was just totally wiped out this, this chapter. I was saying to someone on the Discord server earlier, I was like, if he came out and said someone ghostwrited this for him while he was out of the country or something with his, with his wife, I would completely forgive him because as much as the characters were, were like mostly in the same, they didn't change their characteristics too much, but it just didn't follow. It felt like they were pulling characters from an earlier chapter to put in this chapter. And some of the stuff that happened wasn't acknowledged at all. Like Magath, like casually talking to Levi, like, oh, you can't dodge this bullet. It's like, he killed many of your allies, many of your subordinates who you probably served with for years, nonstop, died on that attack on their barrier. And you're just going to, what, just talk to them like everything's okay? You were shooting at each other a couple hours ago. Especially John and Onyakupon came there. He should have he been furious. He shouldn't have acted like, oh, I want Yelena because Yelena's bad or something. It's like, these people killed your comrades. So it's like, at least something, at least show some, you know, anger or something at them. We don't have to have this whole drawn out thing where like they hate or I hate you people or this and that. That wasn't the point of what was happening. They were supposed to come together, granted. But there should be animosity, as Luna said. It shouldn't just be well nilly and we're, like working together to, you know, solve the, the big problem and 
and defeat the big final boss of the story because that just isn't the kind of nuanced writing I expect from this story. Yes, I think that's that's my main gripe. The nuance is gone. That's what made the series uh, appeal to me in the first place. It was like how uh, all the characters, even like the background characters, handled situations emotionally. And now there's like almost nothing there. Well, there's so many important moments going on this, in this chapter. So I felt a little bit let down by that. However, I will say I don't really mind them not discussing the gripes they had with one another. It's more like shit's going down. We need to figure out how to deal with like stopping Aaron. And then afterwards, I can see them, you know, not being friendly to one another because, you know, there's too much bad blood. But right now they're like, there's more important things to do. Someone can be angry at you or someone can not like something you did and they don't need to say it. it it's been, especially with the eyes or like the way the person has body, like the body language. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been so on the nose that you need someone to say, I don't like this person. I don't, do you get, do you get what I'm trying to say? It's like, Magath could have shown in every way but saying it that he was angry with the fact that he had to work with these people. But he didn't. He just acted like, oh, he was just, oh, okay, we're just going to join forces and I guess that's, that's whatever. It, it, didn't, it didn't feel earned, I think. The moment wasn't earned. The camaraderie between them to join forces just there was there was too much conflict between these characters that had been rightfully built up for like a couple chapters right since post time skip that just didn't you know lead to anything at least yet i can only hope that further chapters shine lights on the animosity that these characters have for each other at least on the Malian side so my chapter impression like for me this chapter in a nutshell, is that everything that happened I wanted to have happen, I just wanted it to mean something, matter some, you know, matter. And I I I just didn't feel the emotion. I loved every scene individually. This this chapter, the scene with Anya Kapan in Jean and John, that was yeah. so powerful. That was to the me. best scene in the story. Um, yeah. Hanji. I have Hanji was amazing. Like individually looking at some of these scenes, they're among some of my favorite. In the manga, especially for how long I've waited for them. But yeah, when I look at it as a whole, there just was no chance to focus on that. And I feel like the important bits got buried inside some of the less important ones. My other problem with this chapter is that it basically invalidated the last three as well. Because the buildup of the Annie reveal, the buildup of Rakugo Village, they all just, all that all that emotional investment. so flat. Yep. And I'm going to say something controversial, but not, not anything as controversial as my Jaegerist take. <laughs> but the Hanji scenario, you said you liked that. The scene where she was clenched fist saying, let's combine our strength, sounded like something I'd see from Power Rangers. I couldn't believe <laughs> that this was something I was seeing in a story that I'd come to respect. I was like, really? Combine our strength? Why not say friendship? Like, friendship is is the solution or love is the solution friendship is magic anything you'd expect like if i close my eyes the official translations i don't know if you've seen the officials she said we just have to do this together let's combine forces you get it right so yeah i mean still cheesy but 
cheesy is, is an understatement. I, with the clenched fist was what made me lose my <laughs> I couldn't believe that I was seeing that. And I was like, am I watching Naruto? Let me qualify this. The, I enjoyed the first six or seven pages of the manga where, where we actually saw Hanji building, you know, at the campsite. And just the expression, just the emotion, the tears, the sweat, the blush, the, the blush, the, you know, just, I actually felt like it, if the chapter had just been that and the scene with, if it had just been half the chapter fleshed out more, I really loved it. I loved seeing the emotion there. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the minute they I need agree. the Magath and they're like, you know, Levi is, you know, ha ha ha, I'm on your side. And Magath, ha ha ha, I can kill you. Ha ha ha. Can you dodge this bullet? I was like, what on earth is going on? And there's a reason why in that entire segment, why what people remember is peak finger. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I Peak finger? Oh, right. It's her name. Yeah. Wait, I really I thought, thought Peek like, was her last name. So I am just... I honestly thought that was like a mistranslation. I no, it's in it. the official. Finger? Peek Finger is... Finger? Peak. Yes, Finger. Of all ways to just drop her surname. Yes. I was like, really? Peek yeah. Finger. <laughs> honestly. Like, even at least you, if you needed more to hate about the chapter, just that name on its own was just... Was just Peek Finger. I'm surprised that went through his editor, really. I think I that's just that one of his uh, instances of his particularly weird humor sometimes. Is that because, Luna, yeah. I was hoping you could have like some light on this because, you know, sometimes you know the German, like the German influence with these names. I mean, is there any redeeming value for her being peak finger when you look at it from the European perspective? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, but no. And That's I ask that because other stupid names like Flegel and Porco oh, yeah. and Flegel. Like, Flegel is like a funny name, but right, it's right, not right, right, right. No, no, no. It's a bad name. Flegel means like brat. Yeah, but it's like he was a brat, so he made right, right. That's what <laughs> I mean. Like before, names that I thought were like, what is why this? You know, it, there was a reason for it. So, you know, pig finger. I'm like, is there something I'm missing here, or is it literally? Is there like nothing else? Well, then I'm missing um, it as well, if if okay. there is Me something. <laughs> Me too. And um, we did ask about Peak Finger in the poll, and the vast majority, like, the memes will be great. That was that 50% of the yeah. fandom, the memes will be great. That's literally it. Maybe Isayama needed to point out that Levi lost two of his fingers. So that's what was all what's on his mind. Also, about Levi, I should, I should also add, it was a... Uh, for all the flaws of this chapter in terms of, I wouldn't say, character consistency, I do like that it was explained, or not explained, but shown, that Levi only survived most of the blast because there was a specific scene where he was thinking about what Zeke did, like blowing himself up, mm -hmm. where it showed he used the one of the swords, one of the blades, to block most of his body from the bottom. And because his fingers were exposed, that's why his fingers got blown off. So most of his, his bottom body was protected through the, the blade, because I know the blade is very strong, so it protected him from most of the force of the blast. Right, he used it as like a, a surfboard shield. Yeah, like a springboard to like take the full brunt of like the, the explosion, so that's why he got flung that far away. So it makes sense, so it's like, it's not just, oh, Levi's a badass, so that's mm -hmm. why he survived. Even that though, like Renan was saying, the the... The swords have gotten larger as the manga yeah. has progressed. 
Like they've gotten thicker and wider. So maybe Isayama, like this whole arc I has mean, been like making the swords bigger just so that scene. Um... Just so that. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, it was shown during the Battle of Liberia. Levi is the only one who used it. So at least it makes sense that, okay, he had a specific size for himself or whatever, like anything you can just use to explain it. At least he wasn't an asshole, is what I'm saying. And just, it's showing that. Okay, he didn't just survive a massive explosion to the face because Ackerman. Like, he actually had split-second reactions to it. So he sacrificed his fingers for his body, really. So at least it makes sense. Because at the moment, it was kind of like, there's no way he could possibly survive that. That's what, I understand people who thought he was dead, but I was like, come on, he's not dead. But as far as, like, an explosion point-blank, make sense it was like it, you can't make someone survive that without a rational explanation so as much as that can be explained i think what he did in that once one panel actually was pretty good it was a pretty good uh depiction of what levi can and how quickly levi can react so yeah i i appreciate that one bit yeah it added some believability yeah somebody asked us might have been haunters has this chapter lowered your faith in Isayama? Anyway, I'd like to ask you guys that. Luna, has it lowered your faith in Isayama? I think I've been concerned about the ending for quite a while now because I don't think the series is as good as it used to be. And this chapter kind of did nothing to to qualm my fears. So it was really... Um, I feel like... Um, he dragged this whole arc out a little bit too much, and now he's like, oh, crap, I have to finish this within a year. Okay, let's have everything happen within one chapter that yeah. I would normally take 10 chapters to write. So your faith is, I mean, it's, I would guess your answer still to not that is back. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not back yet. Yeah, I uh, I want to have that faith. I want to keep it, but yeah, this is uh, it, this is didn't help this chapter. What about you, Leslie? Um, is your faith permanently lowered? I have absolute faith in Asiyama. Okay. I really haven't had my confidence in him swayed. I just hope he doesn't take the shortcut anymore. But that's about it. I really, I don't think I've lost any faith in him. I just hope that someone, somewhere in Japan, can hopefully write a mean-worded letter to him. <laughs> That's still like constructively criticizing what he's saying, like what he did in this chapter, at least. Yeah, his chapter note for this chapter, sauna, 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 that did not help the impressions. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I no. did. I don't remember specifically what it said to you, Luna. I think, it, I, yeah, it made it sound like I think he wanted to take, like really wanted to go to the sauna because it was a lot of work. But maybe it can be interpreted like because he wants to open a spa once he's done, like... I just want to get this over with to open my spa, sauna, sauna, sauna. It plays into what I was saying. He seems like he just took a shortcut because he was rightfully so. He's tired. He's been writing this story for 10 years, nonstop, every month. It's like, I understand the fatigue that can come in and on the last leg of the story, but not to take shortcuts like this. This is his baby, right? This is his masterpiece. Taking shortcuts this late into the story if he did this during like the Return to Shiganshina arc or the Clash of Titans arc, I'd understand it. But too much is at stake. His legacy is yeah, at stake. Yeah, he's got to stick the ending. No he's pressure. He's got to stick but, the ending. Yeah, he's got. 
land, just stick the landing, just hold your breath, finish it off, and then build your spot. <laughs> you know, no pressure, of course. Let's move into talking about Rockago Village, which I honestly thought this was going to be the least favorite moment in the chapter for the majority of respondents. But when we asked that on the poll, it's interesting that only 13% selected it. I do think that number is low just because there was so much else that people didn't like. Avengers Assembles got 20% of the vote. So that was the most disliked moment, that last panel. Uh, Rakugo, yes, Rakugo is now number two. But we did ask, as predicted, Connie's road trip with Falco ended amicably. What did you think? Of the almost 1,300 responses, uh, about 50% of them thought it was okay. I'm glad it wrapped quickly. 30% called it a complete waste of time. So I think that's kind of remarkable for 30% of people to call it a complete waste of time. I mean, that's a lot of pages, a lot of chapter devoted to something that a third of the fandom did not enjoy. Um, I think that's the first time I've seen something like that. That part of the story could have just been ended by, oh, I don't know, Connie and Falco just meeting up. Just Connie just coming into the room and saying, okay, guys, team up. Like, that whole segment didn't need to happen. Right. It feels very unnecessary. Yeah. If it actually happened properly and, like, there was actually some weight behind it and Connie had something to pay for, I was thinking this whole thing, what happened, could have been better, could have made exponentially better if when Armin jumped to sacrifice himself, which, by the way, I have to say, I have had some, you know, harsh words to say the least about Armin, especially on the Discord server discussions with Andrew, that that was the best thing that Armin has done, at least post time skip. So at least when he was able to, at least decided to sacrifice himself, if he lost an arm or a limb or a leg while he jumped and Connie just rushed in to save him, that would have had so much more weight to the fact that he was willing to sacrifice himself, not people making you know, theories that, or oh, maybe he was just trying to trick, you know, Connie or something. If he lost an arm because, you know, Connie's mom chomped as he jumped into her mouth, it wouldn't have solved the problem of how wasted the whole scene was, but it would have felt more, you would have felt more emotionally invested when you saw someone actually get hurt. Right, Does consequences. And he's a titan shifter. You could have just grown the arm back, by the way. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that if something, someone got hurt, if there were real stakes behind it, it didn't feel like any stakes were in that whole thing. It, it felt very low uh, risk and yeah, it just, it didn't, it fell flat completely. Luna, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. We did see a little tiny, tiny, tiny panel of um, Falco when he realized that he'd eaten Porco. Yep. I should catch Leslie up. Falco is Luna's guy. Like, she loves this little guy. She loves Colt. She, you know. So I just, Cole? yeah. Who's that? <laughs> so Luna, do you think Falco knows about Colt yet? Or is that moment coming? And I just, I want to know from you. No, this he knows. Was part of the he story. and Gabby were crying about Colt. Was it about Colt or about um, Porco? About Colt. I mean, for me personally, this this whole subplot was my least favorite part of the chapter. And there was another question on the poll. If you could drop one of the subplots, which one would it be? And the trip to Ragago Village was the one I voted for. And it has 43% of all votes at the moment. So 
I guess a lot of people felt it didn't add a whole lot to the story. And I feel like, what was even the point? Like, did Armin and uh, Gabby have a better connection now? No. We don't know. Not not that we've seen, at least. Um, Yeah. I do think the fact that we all think that it's completely unnecessary means that it's going to become necessary. And in my mind, I have a scenario of why this could be. I have a whole thing about why this could end up being pivotal and important, blah, blah, blah. We'll read about it on Tumblr. Yeah, well, I've written about (laughs) it. So I will give you the the 30-second version. But first, I want to know, Luna, do you think Colt and Porco and Falco are going to get more? You needed catharsis and you didn't get it, did you? No, I th- this was purely to try and develop Connie more because apparently Isayama heard our podcast and all the complaints that Connie wasn't a relevant <laughs> character. So you try to make him relevant. And it's just, well, like what Armin did, it didn't have any way to it. I was not pleased at all with how Falco was handled. He was just like a prop, basically. And then he found out about how he had the jaw tightened and there was like a quick huh reaction. And then in another panel, he's crying over Colt, but there's no words uttered about how he feels about all of this. And it's just brushed aside, like it doesn't matter, like his feelings, which is like the one thing, like that's something I would call Isayama's specialty, like focusing on the emotions of characters. And now it's like, nope, doesn't matter. I feel like this chapter, everyone who had like a favorite character in this chapter, like, as you said, Falco or... Annie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Everyone finally felt the pain, I feel, every <laughs> single time we have an Aaron chapter. Because just the ambiguity of it all was exactly how I feel when I like read the chapter about Aaron. Sometimes it's good, it, it fits to his character, but sometimes it's like, just let him talk. Just let him say something. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just glad everyone can bask in my, my, you know, my hurt for the moment. <laughs> I was also like um, a little bit disappointed with Armin in the sense that, okay, he thinks of Erwin and Erwin's sacrifice and he tries to do the same, but I feel like Erwin's sacrifice was something he deemed necessary and I don't think Armin's sacrifice was like something necessary to better the world. It was just like... That's where I think it's going to happen, right? Because the specific moment that Armin remembers is from chapter 49, where where just uh, that's during the clash arc when Jean says, is this hell? And Erwin says, no, not yet. And then proceeds to tell everyone, this is the moment that will decide the fate of humanity. If we lose Eren, we will never inhabit this land again. So that was the moment when they go riding into the Horde of Titans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Erwin loses his arm like 10 seconds later. But they are successful. So that's the moment Armin is remembering, right? That's the moment, which is only obvious if you devote your life to a study of Erwin Smith, like I have done. (laughs) Um, So that's the moment. It was a turning point for humanity. It was either do or die. And Armin sees this the same way. He sees this as if we let Connie do this, the world is, there is no peace on the world ever. Our only chance of happiness is this. So he gives it the same weight. None of us do. We all think it's stupid. But I have a feeling, I have a feeling this is going to be a future plot point. I have a feeling once they learn what happened to Marco, I think Marco and Bert's death are going to come back. None of them know what happened to the other person. No one knows how Marco died. And the fact that Jean made that Marco reference 
I think means it's going to come up. It's coming up. And they're going to find out that Reiner ordered the kill and Annie removed the gear so that he could be killed. And I, I think it would be cheesy, but is it possible? Is it possible? If this comes up, that Armin, that Gabby's going to be able to say, you know, Armin saved Falco, and that's going to soothe the bomb. So that's going to be like the soothing bomb for both sides. Like, that's the only way I could see this being important, is if the Avengers team starts to fall apart, and this is the moment that brings them all back together. Wait, how does Armin saving Falco smooth things over? I don't know. (laughs) With Reiner. With, with Reiner. Reiner. With Reiner and Annie. Not that Annie cares about anybody. Not but Annie. Not Annie. Annie with Reiner. Care. She doesn't so, really know Falcon. And also with Magath. I mean, it might matter to Magath. It might happen matter to Reiner. I, at least. I, I, okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm trying to think why over this the fact scene. That this guy literally nuked <gasps> our harbor. Like, this guy killed thousands of... You do realize that, like... Armin nuked an entire port. I know. Magus said, oh, but he saved one kid. I, oh, I'm just I saying. Guess, I guess it has to... Armin thinks that this is the moment similar to Irwin's, where you you throw yourself into a horde of titans because if you don't, the world is going to be destroyed. I just don't think that this is set up as a plot point. I, I don't think this is the end of it. I'll put it that way. It's Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's not Armin trying to commit suicide. It's not Armin. It, this is Armin thinking, if he doesn't do this, they're screwed. Nothing good. Yeah, exactly. And I can't imagine that it's not going to be a future plot point. And the only way I can think this to be a future plot point is if it matters. We don't feel that pressure. We think the whole the whole Rakugo thing could be like chopped out of the manga and it changes nothing. But it's going to have to come up again. So that's my mm. point. I feel like... This Rakugo thing, it's not that it wasn't important. It just wasn't had properly. And it wasn't given the time it needed to, you know, to have any weight to it, to the readers. To the characters, yeah. I'm pretty sure Armin felt it was a do or die situation. But I'm pretty sure I can I can relate to most people who read this. They would just reach it like, okay, let's just get more of Annie or more of Hanji or something. They were like, we really don't care about what's going on here. And not to mention the fact that everything literally spanned like the total of like two pages. So it's like you didn't have any time to feel anything about what was happening. Rakugo got the most number of pages in the chapter. Really? In this chapter? Yep. I just counted. And the Rakugo subplot got 14 pages of this chapter. It got an entire... 14? One third of this chapter. It didn't feel like that, honestly. I literally said two pages. It That's four- how it felt. Fourteen. That's unbelievable. It goes from page thirteen to page twenty-six, so thirteen pages. Hmm. Well, I I think everyone can agree that if it took that much of the of the chapter, it should have felt more like poignant yeah. than it did because it just fell flat I, I keep saying it fell flat but it that's the only way i can describe everything that happened in this chapter except for what happened with armin like me and luna might disagree with the fact of what armin did or how it resonated with him but i genuinely feel that that was the most important or like impactful thing armin has done throughout the post time skip i agree with that now that's not the same view that's not the same view i hold for all the one and four 
in particular Jean. I felt like Jean was taking a back seat for most of post time skip, and I felt he deserved more than that. But recently, he's he's shown exponentially because, especially with his views on Aaron, even with Flock, Flock is like just a tyrant that just took power. Jean is what I want people to see as a Jaegerist. I know we're going to get into Wait that a second. Let's favorite. go ahead and move it. Actually, next on our on our list was uh, this section with Jean and the Jaegerists. Um, okay. So Those let's go good. ahead and talk about that. And, and I want to just start out by asking you all, did any of you worry, e- even for a moment, that Jean was going to consider Flock's offer of um, returning to his old life? Nope. No. 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 Okay. I didn't either. Neither did 70% of the fandom. Okay, so Leslie, you just said, what did you just say? Jean is what every... I said Jean is, the, is what every Jaegerist should look like to everyone. Would the you only like difference to is, explain that? The only reason that Jean isn't a Jaegerist is because he has the capability to do something about the situation, right? Most of the populists don't. They're not going to have a mass revolt and somehow stop Eren. And mind you, I am a Jaegerist, and I don't believe he should be stopped at the moment. He should be convinced for something else. Flock or, or, G- or Aaron? Aaron. You think he shouldn't Aaron, okay. be stopped. But I do believe that Jean has the nuance and the objectivity to look at both sides of it. He's like, well, he is doing this for, both, for all of us. But what he's doing is reprehensible. That is my view. And you can see how depressed he is. And you wish he, some he of the Jaegerists had that attitude as well? I wish all of them had the idea, but that wouldn't be very realistic considering that any group who accepts violence as a means to get to their goals has the tendency to be overrun by tyrants and taken over when someone feeds the mob with the antagonism that they dearly want. No mob is is trying to hear a new one. No mob is like, well, if you look at the side, you see that there's actually a... Do you get what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. So that's the problem that the Jaegerists have, which is like Flock and people like him have taken over the, the conversation, which is like, you know what? We're just going to be Eldia 2.0 and we're, su- like, we're supreme because we've suffered and let's ignore everyone else who suffered as well. We're just going to do everything to ensure that we are on top. And I don't feel like that's the message Aaron is trying to go for. But as I said, groups who choose violence as a viable solution to their problems have the tendency of people like Flock coming in and, and taking over the, the loud minority, the vocal minority, because this is what he does. I really like what you said in the Discord. You said that what you'd wanted was one of the Jaegerists there cheering, who after he heard Anyang Kapan's words, you wanted one Jaegerist to say... To at least reflect on that, acknowledge it, yeah. and then be like, oh, well, you know, sorry, we, we have the right to live as well. Like, that's the message. That's the part that you find is missing from the Jaegerists' whole, is that they're being painted as kind of cartoon villains. Not even cartoon villains, because making the argument that they're cartoon villains isn't true, because people are like this. People are self-serving and egocentric they only care about their well-being and their protection and their self you know uh their own survival so Mm -hmm. it's not cartoony in that sense but it is not nuanced it's not nuanced in any sense because people who support tyrannical regimes 
like what Flock is proposing, aren't all non-objective. There are people who support that, or at least don't do anything about it, but are also objective. So I talked to you about this off-air, but what Onyankopone said, pointing out the hypocrisy of the of the Yeagerists, chanting and wishing death on him for not being one of them, was very poignant. And I really, that was the best part of the chapter for me. That was important and relevant part of the story in the entire chapter to me because it pointed out the hypocrisy that people who want and shout about their getting their own freedom are mm. willing to steal freedom from people who otherwise aren't being oppressive to their like it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive their freedom you don't have to steal freedom from one person to have freedom for yourself like on Yankopo's home country aren't being tyrannical although I'm pretty sure they have disgusting views on Eldians. I think that's the whole point why they are okay what they're doing. Like, they see the whole world as their enemy. Onyankopon pointed out that hypocrisy. And all I wanted to see was one of the people chanting Banzai in the group <laughs> about Aaron to be like, hold, hold on, wait a minute. This guy has some points. Although I do, want my, I do want my safety and my freedom for my people. But he is, he is right. Not to suddenly switch sides and be like, oh, I guess I'm a... Avenger now, but like okay, I get we're not in the moral right, and we'll be yelling and acting like we're we're in the in the moral high ground to be preaching down on people who otherwise would be our friends. So if you had so if you had seen another couple of panels, it wouldn't have had to have been much. But if Anyan Capon's words, um, I'm I'm looking at the page. Every one of you here has to know the outrage that is sudden indiscriminate murder. Why do none of you understand? Uh, just a panel of them reflecting or thinking on it, or if you know you would have liked to have seen something like that. If we saw that and people kept cheering, but one of the people or two of the people stopped cheering, didn't like suddenly turn side and like start yelling at the at the Jaegerists, their fellow Jaegerists, but it's like they, their conscience felt something by those words. They were like, okay, I'm not stupid. I know what he's saying is right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely switch sides, but I am going to acknowledge that he is saying something that is correct, that is objectively true. That's all I wanted to see. Somebody to say, I'm sorry, you're right, it's not fair, but this is what we need to survive. <laughs> That would have that would have been uh, like I would have liked that as well, but I w- I don't need to see something like that because he wasn't having a conversation. Mm-hmm. He like screw you if you're gonna shoot me, shoot me. But you're all hypocrites. That was the yeah. that was the dynamic of the group. So you didn't have to like ha- single one person out in the group and like, have this you know intellectual conversation with them. But all I needed was literally one person saying or not saying, but just stop capping or just keep quiet we just saw one panel of people who were otherwise you know you can see in the background of the characters they were so cartoonishly evil looking like <laughs> one of them even had sharp teeth for christ's sake like they were devils <laughs> or something like well. he needed to be on the nose more than that i was like okay we get it they're bad guys okay cool but if one of them literally stopped chanting and we just saw one person who was chanting before just stop and have this perplexed look on your face on their face i'd be like okay you can get through to people because that was the whole point of the whole gabby and falco thing wasn't it that you can get through to people if you just talk to them the bigotry is still there but 
they acknowledge the fact that they're not completely, you know, they don't have all the facts. They're not considering everything on the table. That's all I needed from a Jaeger is to prove that one, they're not all bad guys. Another thing that I, I would have preferred uh, to see to contextualize this was during that bar scene before the whole pie incident, which I will not talk about, <laughs> <laughs> was when people were cheering, I'll drink to this, uh, or hail Aaron, or we're free. I was like, guys, the human cost is going to be in the millions or hundreds of millions. This isn't something for you to cheer and, and celebrate. It should, be a, it should be something for all of you to ponder about that someone is willing to become such a demon for you and commit such atrocities so you can have your freedom. It shouldn't be something for bar talk. It shouldn't be something for you to sit in bars and have a drink and laugh about and cheer that, oh, you're finally free. It should be something for all of you to sit down to collectively to ensure that this kind of bigotry does not in, happen again. Otherwise, it's just going to repeat itself and someone else is going to come and wipe out another certain group of you so other people don't act bigoted. Like, that should be the conversation. Like, the whole bar scene where people were drinking, I would have preferred it if in the back was being solemn and just sitting on their own, even drinking, not being cherry like the rest of them. And someone was like, oh, God, why don't you join us? It's like, because they're about to kill hundreds of millions of people. Now I get it. They were going to kill us otherwise, but I can't, in good conscience, act like that is irreprehensible. I understand it, but it, it is reprehensible. And you think, Aaron, you're a Jaegerist in the sense that you think Aaron. Well, let me let you explain it. You yes, describe yourself. Explained the, yes, the term "democratic Jaegerist" to us. Yes, in fact, we on Twitter, Ambassador Aguino. <laughs> How does democratic Jaegerism even work? I'm a Jaegerist, but I don't see democracy on the island that has zero experience. I also, it also doesn't sound like something Aaron would want. And no, democracy does not equal freedom. I, I agree with Aaron. I don't agree with the Jaegerist. To give you like a historical context, I see Flock, and I'm pretty sure a lot of the nerds who listen to your, your podcast would understand what I'm talking about. To the French Revolution, right? They wanted freedom for themselves, the peasants at least. But then, then comes Robespierre, who was like, oh, just execute all of them. Everyone who, anyone I don't like is getting, you know, the guillotine. So that's kind of like the position Flock is in. He's just a tyrant who just is power drunk, basically. He, he sees power and he's like, anyone who doesn't agree with me is getting marginalized. So that's my view of like the Jaegerist. He doesn't represent the concept that Aaron is fighting for, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But as, as to what I was talking about with the Democratic Jaegerist, like, I don't really mean democracy. I don't, I'm not asking them to go to the ballot box to choose whether like, genocide <laughs> is the right move. But I am. Let's have a census. A sense, <laughs> let's have a census. Yeah. Oh, do we just do, we do Brexit or no? <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like a Brexit, but everyone's getting nuked off yeah. the planet kind of thing. But I don't agree with, I'm not saying democracy in, in the, our sense of the word, but I am, I am a Jaegerist in the sense that I do accept what he's doing. I'm more of like an ethical Jaegerist. As, as a, <laughs> that sounds as like a, an oxymoron. As confusing as, the, as, confusing as, as that is. I do believe that Aaron is in the moral wrong. My best way to put it so people understand that I'm not some you know, crazy Jaegerist is that if we're being objective story, the best option would have been the 50 years option. 
But I understand completely that Aaron wasn't going to stand for that. So I completely understand in the context of the story that Aaron wasn't going to accept the 50 years plan. Because we, the characters we care about, we're going to suffer for that. So that was the only option that made sense. In a, in a real world like geopolitical thing, if, if we're talking in real world politics, that would make sense. But Aaron needed to do something at the moment. And peace wasn't an option. As much as you and I might disagree with the we fact do that disagree peace on that. Option. Yes, we do. I don't. I don't agree that. Well, that was term, not the the most interesting sto- way to tell this story. So it was never. It could be done happen. well. I stand by. I stand by. You get Kiyomi to fly that ice burst powered plane <laughs> to each continent and show it off to the military leaders of each country. And, you know, we have this. If you want it, sign this. And, uh, yeah, I, I go back to that. That, hat, that. that ice burst plane was the path to peace. But, oh, well. I really wanted to come on the podcast. I wanted to use you as a conduit for people who generally think along these lines. Because I do know there's a lot of you who generally think peace was a viable option, but Aaron screwed it up. Yes. I think I'm summing up your, your view perfectly. Yes. Or at least somewhat. I, I, okay. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, I'm not, okay, I'm not even going to say peace was an option, but Aaron screwed it up. I think that peace should have been <laughs> pursued far more. Uh, I think, I think it should have been given pursued, a chance, given a chance. And I don't think Aaron gave it a chance. So that is probably. You mean give him more of a chance? Because he did give it. He, he went to the. Showing up, showing up at you. events. It does, is not the same thing as giving peace i mean what should he have come out oh yeah by the way i'm the attack titan you, the no. person you literally want to kill show me any and, moment in the manga any moment in the manga where uh aaron actively does something to try to promote peace or or even considers it a, an option he dismissed it immediately and maybe that's not because going to, not going to marley and literally belly flopping them at that moment that was him holding his he was holding his cards to his chest Right, and I know uh, this is where I, the Jaegerist apologist comes out, and then you actually see, oh yeah, he's still a Jaegerist. So <laughs> I was I thinking because you have is... not done a good job, <laughs> Leslie. You have not done a good job representing the Jaegerists that I know. They're all going to be really disappointed in you. They're going to kick you out of the club. Yeah, I have to. I have to come out. <laughs> like I'm still, I'm still part of the club, so I have to. All right, stick let's out my prove, for prove it. <laughs> okay, the Kiyomi thing, right? You're yeah. talking about her going to representatives and like displaying the amount of technological uh, resources that they have, or at least iceberg stones, the resources that they have to further technology. Yeah. What stops them from even like? I don't want to use too many like real world examples, but we know what people do when they see oil and when they smell oil. Yep. What stops it, them it is. Causes Tens of thousands, yes. What stops them is tens of thousands of colossal titans circling. And I'll say it, I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand more. Paradise was not defenseless. They had colossal titans. They were an island. They were well situated. They had resources. They had, you know, everything they needed except for they were naive. what happens 100 years from now? Well, 200 years from now? Oh, there is a trade embargo, right? Uh-huh. There is a, a, a constant uh, relation with other world like leaders and right. countries in general because they need the iceberg stones. But resources run out. And not to, mind, like, not to mind you, those resources would further their technology advancement. 
as of course. and as Margaret had, had talked about. Of course, they were I, already reaching a point where titans were about to be nullified in their use. It goes so back what to what you said. Gets to the point. It goes back to what, what you said. A, go on. <laughs> Paradise had a PR problem during that time that they're dealing with other nations, selling them iceberg stones, whatever. They're showing, I mean, that's when they undo all those prejudices that have been in place. They do good works. They For use 2,000 years? Undo, okay, 2,000 years was pretty awful. They've got a chance to kind of set the record straight and be different. And if somewhere along the way somebody would remove that Titan curse, that would be great since clearly, you know, founding Titans have that ability. But um, I just think it could have... Just like in our real world, you know, nobody's going to touch Saudi Arabia. Nobody's going to touch like a powerful person with oil, right? Right. Um, right. I agree. Okay, that's the perfect example you use there. Yeah. Because it, it does make sense in that in that yes. estimation. And uh, an argument that, as I said earlier, the fifty years plan was the most sensible one to do. Because okay, I could make I can make the counter argument to my point, which is like okay, while the other countries are making technological advancements. Paradise would be as well. Mm -hmm. So let's say they both reach a point where they both have nukes, right? So it would just be like the real world where people are just having a standoff. And, and if you think about it, Paradise has nukes. They have nine titans or they're uh, Eldia. There are exactly nine dangerous individuals. The others are not. The other million, whatever, are not. Because no Eldian can become a titan except for those shifters without something but, medically happening to them. Like, they have to be injected. That's the point, though. So like, you've, got, at some point, you've got nine nuclear weapons that would need, and any peace treaty that would need to be contained and controlled. The rest of the population is fine. And once that message was distributed, then the PR problem is gone. Like, we will contain these nine individuals. And Luna had this brilliant idea where she talked about... <laughs> um, Having the Titans' inheritance be among the elderly, just keep passing it to old people. That way, you know, people who are at the end of, of their lives and are willing to take on this power and and have them be quarantined, have them be sequestered, have whatever, whatever it takes to make the rest I of the think world you know. Guys, and to make this point to most of the people listening, I think you guys underestimate the level, or at least the power well, of bigotry. I'm not going to say that I completely agree with Montaku's point of view, like, oh, Kiyomi should have just flown the Iceberg Stone plane. Because you're exposing your hand, right? Like, the people of the world yes. want that power. But they have so a bargaining chip say, oh, yeah, by right the way, now. I'm not going to say how things are in the future. Because as you said, okay, the it's Nine Titans are a nuke. What happens when there's a real nuke? A real nuke isn't, isn't going to be stopped by some Nine Titans. So as I said, like they can reach a point where there's a stalemate because as real nukes are developed, Paradise is developing theirs, so there's a standoff. But I don't think you guys, I think you guys are overestim underestimating how bad bigotry gets, especially when time goes by. I think so that the whole point is to give by. them a chance to show them that they are not devils and that will not exactly. happen within one or two years. Of course not. But It's not going to happen in a generation No, or two. exactly. It needs a couple of generations, but they need that time. And Aaron wasn't willing to give them that time. Right. A couple hundred years? I don't think... I'm not, I'm not, I'm I'm not, not saying it's, it's going to be a couple hundred years, but it's going to be at least two generations. Right. And Leslie, I to me... Right? I mean, maybe yeah. ice burst. Uh, Paradise, like I said, was protected. They had technology. They had natural resources. They were a self-contained island. They didn't need people bringing anything in. I mean, they were, they were fine. 
They could have um, lasted easily another 50 years if they had put together an active plan to try to undo the prejudice of the world. Like I told you, enter peace accords, control the nine titans, um, do good works, show that you're different. Like Hanji said a few chapters ago, we need to show them a different face. If that had become the policy of parodies, it would have taken time. Even if it wasn't successful forever, I think it's like with it any anything else. Maybe it would have worked for 200 years. Then you come up with another plan. Maybe it would have worked. You know what I mean? It's like you don't genocide the rest of the world. You do <laughs> everything first. And if it would have bought 200 years of peace in the world, that's 200 years to work on your next plan. And I just like that's realistic to me. That's what people do. I feel Aaron is a, a negation of incrementalism. And what I mean by that is he doesn't believe in, oh, let's just, it's like, it's like the saying that I forget the the sixties writer, sixties uh, African American writer who says, "You told my grandfather to wait. You told my father to wait. You wait. You told my great grandfather to wait." It's like, how long do you expect me to wait for freedom? And mind you, all those generations that would pass, Eldians would still be treated by second class citizens, having trade deals with people. And I'm pretty sure, as the point you made on Saudi Arabia is perfect, it doesn't mean that they don't treat people badly (laughs) it's like you can make deals with people so everyone doesn't die but that doesn't mean that bigotry and marginalization isn't going to be a widespread thing people might still be fed to dogs people might still be killed people might not even people might not be put in internment camps per se because eldia or paradis at that point might not accept it but that doesn't mean you're just going to accept the fact that Aaron couldn't accept that Aaron couldn't wait Aaron couldn't accept the fact that people were still going to be suffering and yet look at how much they're still suffering look at his friends like he fixed nothing (laughs) so that's my other point is this fixes nothing nothing and it's like the suffering of his own people is somehow worse than other people's suffering I mean that's the point of uh, being a statesman right you care about as, as horrible as we can have philosophical debates here where it's like everyone is the same. No, I, I'm not saying that. But at a certain point, you have to draw a line and say, you know. You can be a humanitarian, but at some point you're going to be like, my people, I'm going to protect my people over the vague idea of everyone should be okay. Because at the end of the day, the world isn't perfect. And I think that's the point Attack on Titan is trying to convey. So it's like Aaron made the hard decision where it's like, I am going to put my people's lives over that of everyone else's. It's not the right decision, it's not the moral decision, but it's a decision he came to because he understood that his people were just going to keep suffering. Has he made it any better for them? And is it is it going to create a future? That's what I was about to get to, where it's like the fact that revolutionary ideas are hijacked by people who use tyranny as a tool is the main problem. And that I think that's the message Isayama is trying to convey. It's like, you can have best of intention to get an idea through, to protect your people. But the minute tyranny seeps in, it's like a virus. It's like, what Flocker is doing can almost jeopardize everything Aaron is because he uses fear and, and stuff like that and tyranny in general to control the masses. And what happens? People revolt over that and then it's just a continuous cycle. So in, in reality... 
it's no different. And it's as I'm pretty sure you and I agree. We we both love Erwin. What he said about humanity, where it's like human beings will continue to fight over each other until there's one or less. That doesn't mean you kill the other person and you're all alone by yourself on the world. doesn't mean you kill everyone else. And as I said, I want to make it completely clear. I don't agree <laughs> with wide-scale you know, genocide or plutocide, whatever you call it, the widespread destruction of the world. I would, I would prefer if that didn't happen. However, with the options that Aaron had, Aaron as a person, not as his ideals. Aaron as a person had the options of waiting for peace or doing something about it. And he chose the worst option, which is the widespread destruction of humanity, which most people weren't even a danger to him. Like, they're completely separate. They don't understand what's happening in the civilized society. And they're just going to see colossal titans come. That we had on and Kapan yeah. and his as the example. And also, I guess, the um, Fez Kuhn and his family. Yeah, you know, the East Alliance, I think, yeah. is what they were called. All right, so let yeah. me ask you this. So it, let's just say Flock was a more reasonable character. Let's say that Gene, the <laughs> leader In of the Jaegerist, let's say that the leader of the Jaegerist was more like Gene, okay? Right. Um, do you think his friends would be – so it sounds to me like you think that the fact that his friends and parodies are suffering right now is because – of what Flock is doing, not because of what Aaron is doing? It's it's a huge reason what Flock is doing is is causing the problems that are happening in You don't think Paris. they would just be as heartbroken and anguished? Do you think they would try to stop him if... Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. They would 100%. Still, still try to stop him. Aaron. Yes, but I'm talking about the people on Paradise, if okay. that makes sense. Like the, the, the masses and the worldview as to what's happening. There's a lot of Eldian supremacy that's seeping into the to the conversation, and it's becoming an imperialist doctrine. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you're just going to keep repeating things. Okay. You, you haven't learned. You haven't learned. It's just going to keep repeating the cycle until you understand that bigotry is a no-no. If someone is going to make the sacrifice of destroying most of the world's population for you, you can't go around and keep repeating the same mindset that got you into that position in the first place. That's the problem I have with I the Eucharist. But yes, mm-hmm. I agree that the one or fourth would still try to stop him. Okay. Which, in my opinion, isn't the right move, per se. <laughs> but I do have a, a biased opinion on that. Okay, I, so I, I, I think I finally get what you're saying. So, so Aaron, okay, Aaron, you... Aaron did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're... Your attitude towards this is that Aaron ultimately would have brought peace, happiness, prosperity to his people. He ultimately would have been successful if somebody like Flock, if the people he was leaving behind were A, more appreciative, B, less militant. If somebody like Flock wasn't the one setting the tone of the conversation, that Aaron would succeed. But it's actually Flock who's destroying all chances for future peace. I'm not dropping at all at the feet of Flock. I'm talking about the mindset he represents. If someone along the... If they had the same mindset as someone like Jean, okay. which was like, oh, holy shit, this is bad. How do we get to this point? We can't allow this to happen ever again. If that makes sense. It does. Like, it things does. are bad. Like, I disagree, but at least I understand. <laughs> he's literally nuking the world for us because of the bigotry that 
they displayed towards us. Let's, they were literally yeah. ready to kill all of us. How did it reach this point? We can't ever allow this to happen again. And that makes more sense with what Armin has done. Apparently, that's Armin's thinking, that he has to do this, uh, what he's doing, because otherwise, it's going to start all over again. I, oh, okay. I still you mean don't what get... he did with the sacrifice of... Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. Uh, for for, himself, Falk, okay. for Yeah. So... You, you said you don't understand my, my worldview? I understand. No, that, that I don't still don't understand how Armin's supposedly willingness to sacrifice himself would oh, oh, make right. sense <laughs> in all it of this. It makes sense um, to me in line with what <laughs> Leslie is saying. Like in the kind of world, like people that want to, you know, if we're not, if this is, if we're going to stop this from happening only again. only propagate suffering if you continue, like as someone said, it was like, insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different, different results. results. Yeah. If you continue propagating the same mindset of bigotry and us versus them and and we're better than this it's, it's just going to keep repeating itself people aren't going to go lying down and taking that mm-hmm. and that's the thing a lot of people anti-yagerists as i call don't seem to understand it's like you can't in the same time understand that people like marleyans have different views and they're not a monolithic group that just all think eldians are bad but they sat back and allowed a doctrine that was xenophobic and racist and in many ways, like, genocidal, perpetrate for 100 years. And I, understandably so, because they suffered for 2,000 years and, and so on. But you can't sit back and expect people to take that. Like, Aaron is a, is a summation of Molly's sins, I think. That's the best way. I remember someone posted that. Don't quote me on that. But... He's literally the result that comes from bigotry. That doesn't mean he's somehow some self-righteous hero. He has self-righteous reasons to do what he's doing. And I completely agree with the reasons he's doing it. However, the execution of his ideas is the problem. And I think that's what Isiyama is trying to convey. That this is what happens. You radicalize people when you don't at least acknowledge the point of view that they're having and you don't give them a channel to convey those views at least on a on a widespread scale to actually cause systemic change if you don't give them the right avenues to cause those change people become radicalized and they become terrorists this Aaron is as much of a terrorist as you can is you that's like he's like the textbook description of what he did in Liberia is like is as much of an insurrectionist attack as you can literally find anywhere in any story like what Aaron did in Liberia was a war crime. Like every Jaegerist, or not every Jaegerist, a lot of Jaegerist view that supporting Aaron means minimalizing the atrocities that Aaron did. Is that you can still support Aaron and be like, yeah, he did some horrible things. But there's is a problem with our conversations in general. People don't like to concede ground on arguments. They like to be like, everything the person I support is right. So that means they're completely righteous and anything you say against them is going to be taken as a, a front on my personality, on my view. Mm. The black and white thinking. It's very black and white. I mean, Aaron did nothing wrong. That's as black and white as it gets. And that's the <laughs> well, rallying that's cry. And, and, I, and I think is it it's, a meme? it's caused by people. Is it really? It's, it's mostly a meme, <laughs> but most, it's mostly because of people who hate Aaron to their, to their guts. And it's literally used to piss those people off i'm saying that as someone who's part of that group we literally say for people who 
cannot stand anything to do with Aaron. Aaron is basically Hitler to them. So it's like, yeah, no, Aaron he's worse did nothing than Hitler, wrong. Duh. I mean, I mean, comparing six million to like a hundred million yeah. plus <laughs> that Aaron is doing, it's it's. But he did nothing wrong. He he did it. <laughs> you can't convince me otherwise. And if you do, you're a bigot. I am that. <laughs> I am dying to know the answer to this question then. So I, I acknowledge, I, I understand where you're coming from. And I- Gasp. I know, I know. We had, like I said, we, we've come to this before where you make me see the story a little bit differently and I can at least see the other side, whatever. I see right. it. Um, so then why- In 2020? So let me ask you this. <laughs> Do you think Aaron- made a mistake in choosing Flock to be his representative? Do you think he knew what Flock would do? I mean, what if if Aaron or did Aaron just not care? How if Aaron had allied with, like you were saying, someone like Jean, <laughs> someone like Armin, if he could have gotten someone like that, look, I'm gonna do this horrible thing, but we're gonna start from scratch and we're gonna build a world that's, you know, not gonna repeat the same mistakes. Maybe not in right. all those words. Why did he choose Flock of everybody? Aaron, for all the things I love about him, he's no statesman. He's no Napoleon, right? He just, he's a hammer, right? Aaron breaks things. That's what he's good at. That's what he's always been good at. The only thing now, he's more controlled in how he uses that power. That doesn't mean he's stupid. He just isn't a tactician as much as you'd call Armin or Erwin. So if he had someone like Erwin left, I keep, people like us keep making the point that Erwin would support Aaron. I'm not quite sure of that. Heck no. He wouldn't support worldwide <laughs> genocide. He, he's very comfortable making decisions that might cause civilian casualties. He's no, he's no stranger to making decisions that would cause destruction and unconscionable decisions that cause death to innocent people. Like people who love Erwin. And I think that was the first discussion you and I had where mm -hmm. I pointed out the hypocrisy of people who support Erwin, but call out Erwin for doing bad things like Liberia, for example. Yeah, Erwin I could see Erwin supporting a... the attack on Liberia, just not with the oh, yeah, reasoning. Not, not the genocide. Not no. genocide, but he, he could have supported Liberia. Yeah. That being said, I do agree to, to the point you were making that if he chose someone that would have co conveyed the regret in the, like, in the reasoning he made the decision he made, like, we think, I think back to 1, 2, 3, where he was visibly crying because he knew what he had to do. Well, at least in his mind, he had to do. He was forced to no other option. Again, in his mind. And that's how bad the bigotry and the marginalization in the world at the point. So if he chose someone who could perfectly convey that to the Paradisians, because as far as they were concerned, they suddenly learned that the world hates us. That's all they knew. They just knew the world hates you, period. If they could explain that, oh yeah, the world isn't some monolith that just hates you, but people accepted that worldview, much like a lot of people in the past royal government accepted a lot of bad things that happened. Like, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but the guy, uh, Hanji and Levi tortured. Sanes. You know the guy who they peeled his fingers off or something like that? Yep, Jel Sanes. Sanes, he wasn't a bad person per se, but he did reprehensible things to accept the royal government at the time, to accept the regime at the time, which was tyrannical. That's kind of like the point they should have conveyed, that people like that were just around the world. People who just did things who were bad or accepted things that were bad and just continued this cycle of hatred 
for a hundred years, two hundred years, and we're going to do it continuously until Eldia has been the casualty on that on that cinder block. We cannot allow that to propagate after Eren does the horrible thing of destroying the world, making a black uh, a clean slate, and allowing us to live in freedom. We can't allow ourselves to fall subject to that kind of mi- like mindset. Which That's is exactly what, what Armin is trying to do now, apparently. No, he's not. Armin is a completely different mindset. My take on, on Armin is that the rumbling is happening. The world is going to be destroyed, but we have to create a new world now with the people who are here. And that means, you know, putting myself out in behalf of this kid who is important right. to them. I need to show that we're different or something. I mean, that's how I read it. Yeah, and that's why I appreciate what he did. As I said, that's the most impactful thing to me that he's done since post timeskin. That being said, Armin is not of the same mentality as Aaron. Oh, Aaron. No, no. And I hope he comes to this to the realization that Aaron is fighting for the same thing. Because so far, the whole conversation about Aaron and what he's doing is, oh, genocide back. Like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> genocide is a bad thing to do. That being said, why is he doing it? Like, John has been the only person to acknowledge his reasoning. Like, literally, in the, he saw the times, like, marching on, and he was like, oh, shit, this is why he's doing it. That being said, I'm pretty miserable about it. And then, so far, because of his character and his character progression through the start of the story, he came to the conclusion, I can't sit back and allow this to happen. I have to do something to stop it. So if Armin had the same, you know, mental, you know, uh, timeline. He he went through the ideas that Aaron had, not just oh Aaron is going to wipe them out because freedom. I guess it's not just about freedom. It's because there was no avenue available for actual change, systemic change that wouldn't have taken a hundred years or two hundred years. Mm-hmm. Like to give you the like the example we just talked about, things can be incrementally changed, but bigotry racism is still going to exist widespread and when you add in oh the fact that oh people literally believe that these people on mars can transform into giant titans and cannibalize everyone yeah it's gonna it's gonna add a a little bit of extra racism on top of that it's it's not easy to deal with so no matter how much revenue you produce or how much trade you have with people if a country is racist to another country it's just, it's just not going to, it's not just going to work out as much as people who are peace advocates would like to admit. Uh, that's, that's my point of view anyway. At least with Aaron. Zeke, Zeke can go to hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I take it Luna doesn't, you don't agree with most of what I said. At least with Aaron. Um, I can see Aaron doing this because... He wants to mostly protect his friends, the people he cares about. I really? like to think it's remember, for some I've, greater I've, good. I've, but... watched, uh, I've watched a lot of like, uh, or not watched, I've listened to prior podcasts and mm. you seem to adamantly dislike Aaron to, to say the least. So, Oh yeah, I'm I do not enjoy that. his character at this point. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that I don't think he's mainly doing this to save the people he cares about, which I've also stated in previous podcasts. That being said, however, his friends are obviously, you know, he didn't include them in his plans. and They're not too happy about what he's doing right now. So 
it's kind yeah, of yeah. I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's uh, it's not. It wasn't the best tactic for him because it had some uh, consequences that I'm pretty sure he didn't want. Yeah, vis-a-vis flock. Aaron is a hammer. I agree with that. Aaron doesn't think. I do. Too. Aaron, he's never been as. He know, does Aaron- think. He's just not. He's All not right. the tactician. Right. You would like him to be. He's not. I mean, he's no Napoleon or Caesar. Okay. He, he's, he's not planning ten times. As much as us Jaegerists like to make the joke that oh he's <laughs> actually the four D chess master, not Zeke. <laughs> he literally got spoilers ahead. It's like imagine knowing the end of the game, and at least part of the end of the game, and then acting like you're some grand tactician. No, you just got spoilers. You just got cheats. So he's not as much of a tactician as I would like. But that's part of his character. He's not the smartest person around. He's not the most special person. He's just a person with the conviction yeah. to uh, well, that carry out the mission. Makes regardless his character of, so compelling, right? Happens. That he's not yeah, some sort exactly. of special kid. He's not some uh, some shonen protagonist that has like literally maxed out abilities on every single like <laughs> part. So it makes him more realistic. But again, it does show the flaws in his planning. Like the stuff about Locke is the most like gaping hole in his plans like re- did you really not foresee something like this happening that's my p- my question though did he not foresee this is this not something he wanted and we just don't know the reason yet i don't i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't go so far as thinking he planned this and i don't want to make the whole stereotypical argument of we'll see because he saw something so that's no like no just, that's not what i uh, mean that's like me capping out of the question and saying oh yeah but but he's seen something good, so I can't answer your question until the end of the story. That's kind of me just making an excuse. That being said, I can't see any reason why he shouldn't have seen that Flock has the tendency to be a bit crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, I, well, I don't support. It seems support to me him. like he yeah. appealed to Flock. Where did this, you know... Eldia 2.0, you know, we, the restoration of the Eldian Empire, the, the chanting and all that. It, it feel, we don't, we don't know how that line of logic started, but it does seem like it stemmed from Aaron, you know, that that was actually, I don't know, maybe, where did that even come from? That seems like a flock thing. That seems like an entirely flock thing. That seems like as much of a flock thing as you can imagine. But I don't think Aaron is, is talking about Eldians on some bigoted imperialist mindset. Aaron isn't like, oh, Banzai, I'm going to rule the world or something. I guess Even my question is then, how, how did Aaron appeal to Flock? How, in that dark of the night, how did... Um, <laughs> how, how did he convince how did, Banzai? How did he decide Flock was his guy? And then how, you know, how was that message given to Flock that Flock turned into this? Like, where is Aaron's culpability here? Was it just a okay. mistake? He picked the wrong guy? Or... You know, I guess we'll we'll probably see that, but that's something I, I hear everything you're saying, but I still cannot wrap my head around why he chose Flock, what he said to Flock, and is he culpable for what Flock has done? Could he have foreseen it, or is it just total? He just not smart, picked the wrong dude. End of story. Right. Well, I think from my perspective, I think the choice of Flock, and uh, again, this might be controversial. But I think Flock was chosen because he was the only person with actual connections, that being that he was one of the, one of the as they said, saviors of Shiganshino, the heroes of Shiganshino, mm-hmm. that actually had power that he didn't really care about. So okay. he was 
he was uh, dispensable in that sense. So he could rely on him to do things that he knew he wouldn't want uh, Armin or Mikasa to to do because he didn't want to put them in harm's way. That being said, when push comes to shove, he was ready to call people to action in Liberia, for one. was ready to force people's hands. And understandably so. I'm one of the people who understands Aaron's plight with the 104s because for the most part of this arc, or at least subsequent arcs before that, they have been sitting on their hands for most of it. They just, oh, peace. How is the peace going to be implemented? Eh. It was very idealistic and people call Aaron the ideologue, but unfortunately, it seemed that they were just bent up on, oh, 50 years planned, we're ready to sacrifice our people. And then other plans than that, because we don't want to trust Zeke. What plan do we have? Eh, we'll figure it out. That was like literally the mindset of since 90 to like 90, 99, I guess. So that being said, I do understand him choosing Flock. Although I shouldn't, if I could advise him, I wouldn't have given him that much power and autonomy, especially at home. Because you see what happens when Flock has power like that. <laughs> when in one two five, I think he uh, said, "I am Aaron's representative." Like the face palm I made, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I could not believe what I was reading, and I knew that it was the start of something horrible. So when this chapter came out and people were chatting Banzai, I was like, "Maybe." So we're just all. Maybe Aaron maybe knows what? that this is the only way to get Flock killed. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I think you're giving him more, like, um, more leeway than even i would but uh, <laughs> we'll see we'll see i just hope that flock gets deposed and when he gets deposed his ideas get deposed because it's one thing to take yeah. someone like him down and i've heard a lot of people uh advocating for his demise in various ways like i was one of the people expecting him to be stumped by the colossal titans for like upon rumbling like once the rumbling started when people like him get deposed violently it only causes martyrdom so he becomes a martyr and people just praise him more and he becomes like as i said a robespierre so when he gets deposed which i genuinely see him being because i don't think isayama can end the story off with flock surviving that'll be the biggest fuck you the (laughs) not jaegerist that you can possibly do so when he gets deposed i just hope his ideas get deposed with him because it's not helpful to Diego's cause. Well, are they, are they just his ideas, though? I feel like a large part of the population truly feels the same way. Ideas that are centralized by him. Like, he's like, mm. a, he's like a figurehead for those ideas. I think you understand what I mean. Okay. He's not the sole cause of it, but those kind of sentiments and imperialist mindset. Yeah, he's kind of awakening that flame in the rest of the Yeah, he's populace? like the poster boy for it. Yeah. So when he gets deposed, I just hope his ideas get deposed. Otherwise, we're just, it's just going to be more of the same. I was so disappointed that John didn't, like, smite him with a rock last chapter. Oh, you mean the rock theory? Yeah. That was, that I was am so sad that it amounted to absolutely nothing. <laughs> and a lot of people were going crazy about it as well. Look at this rock position here. And well, just... it, was, it was proof that, you know, it, I think for a lot of people, it was proof that he was not listening to Flock. And of course, he wasn't. And we got that confirmation this chapter. But yeah. Maybe he did have I the think, intention to. Well, 70% of the fandom has said that they were not nervous. I suspect some of them are lying. I think people were nervous. 
I mean, I wasn't nervous that he was going to join his side. However, I did see John, like, John did take everything in. John is a very uh, objective person. He looked at all the sides. He looked at all the arguments. And then in the end, his conscience took precedent. So he did listen to, I'm pretty sure he listened to what Flock said. However, his conscience played. I'm not going to let, you know, people get genocided for my own comfort. I understand where he came from. Like, right. from the very start, even with, like, what Flock did. Flock was napalming civilians in Liberia intentionally. He was literally blowing up civilian houses and Jean had to step in to stop him. So I completely understand why his conscience would eventually want him to stop the death of innocent people well, but on Mars. Like looking back, Floch already knew that they were gonna get trampled probably by the colossal titans. So I mean, what's what's the better way to go? Being blown to bits in your own house or getting smashed to the size of a pancake by a colossal? The rumbling. Yeah, so, like, because he already knew what Aaron was planning, he was like, fuck it, like, they're gonna die soon anyway. Like, might as well kill them myself. Yeah, right? might have some fun out of it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, at least we all, I think we can all agree that Aaron isn't a sociopath in the sense that he's not doing this because he's trigger happy or because he enjoys killing innocent That's so the one thing a I lot will people, agree on. A lot of people who seem to paint Aaron as some tyrannical person who just wants to end the world or something I, I don't agree with it and i think it's it's harmful because all it does is further radicalize like myself who's just like oh you're not even being like new one you just think he's a bad person so i'm gonna start like sending ethno state sounding <laughs> rhetoric in in the in the discord servers and reddit box so it's like it's just not it's not realistic so I think there needs to be a, an agreement on nuance. Like both sides have points, but at the end, genocide is bad. So we can only hope that Aaron, while he succeeds in the implementation of Elgin's, he doesn't end up with a body count that amasses in the hundreds of millions. My only hope. Well, do you think that the intent and the subsequent action he's taken so far is already enough? No. No? You think he can still kind of redeem himself in that? It? Oh, do you mean redeem himself? No. I don't want him to become some knight in shining No, no, armor. no, but like, in the sense that he would stop the genocide. Or do you think he has to be stopped? Or do you think his mind can be changed on what to do? I have a crack theory here, and uh, this is like the perfect platform to get across, <laughs> because I... We're all crackheads here. Yeah, uh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> I, heard it, I heard it somewhere and I, I kind of just added bits to it. And I hope that it, it just plays out the way I want it because I feel like this is the best thing to do and also play into the fact that everyone doesn't completely genocide the world. So it's, it's been playing out how I expected it, especially with 125, I think, or 124, where Annie's dad... Uh, rejects the fact that the the Malayans at the internment camp are trying to stop them from telling them that Aaron is trying to come to stop or to kill all of them, basically. So it's kind of like a thing where Aaron knew what he was doing and the fact that he told every Eldian around the world. I'm assuming he could have, you know, localized it if he wanted, but he told everyone in the world 
that he was coming for them, every Eldian in the world. And as we talked about, or at least was shown in uh, earlier chapters, especially the one with Kiyomi and uh, Yuen with the Eldian, uh, the Eldians who support, the people who supported Eldian rights, they showed that people who were force-bred have been done so to, to the fact that every host country has Eldians who were a product of force breeding. So it's, it's very likely or to be uh, taken from that, that the people who are Eldian aren't completely a race in of itself, but it's more of like Eldians who force bred with people take on the appearance and, you know, makeup that the host country has. That's why um, Annie's dad looks completely different to him. I mean, to her, sorry, because he's an Eldian as much as her, but they don't look anything alike. And he, um, it's safe to say he's a foreign type of Eldian because he is a foreigner, as they clearly stated. So it's clear that with Aaron's declaration of basically genocide to the world, there will be mass revolt around the internment camps in the world, further causing the people in the inter internment camps to empty out and further spread around the populace. And with the fact that they exactly are the same race, so to say, as the host country, they'll be incapable of being told from the rest of the population. That's where Aaron and Armin comes in. And I really hope that this comes true because Armin is the only person to convey this to Aaron. This is just a wild guess, but he can probably tell Aaron to change the genetic makeup of Eldians because... As we talked about in one, two, three, I think, where Kiyomi was stating that they're kicking up blood tests around the world to make sure that Eldians don't slip through the cracks, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, and it's kind of like a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. You can't just mention that and not bring it up at some point. I think that's leading up to what I expect to be that Armin tells Eren to change the genetic makeup, as Xavier mentioned before with Zeke, that she changed, an Eldian king changed the genetic makeup of Eldians to be immune to a plague. I assume that he can subsequently do something along those lines where he changes the DNA so that the genetic differences aren't being able to be picked up by blood samples. Okay. If people are, are like spread into like the main population and because of the chaos that's happening, and mind you, there will be innocent civilians being killed by Aaron's Titans, so that will further make people you know, disperse because of chaos that's happening and Eldians and non-Eldians alike. And the host Eldians generally look no different than the Eldians because that's why they need blood tests. They should be able, to, if they didn't need blood tests, that would show that they look a certain way as opposed to the host country, but that's clearly not the case. I think it's a possibility, but I just hope that Armin will be the one to tell him to change the makeup of Eldians. I guess I'm confused. Though. What does that accomplish? Are you saying that Armin will offer this to Aaron as a plan B? Like, stop genociding the world. Just make everybody indistinguishable from one another. I feel Aaron and Armin are the only ones capable of having this discussion in the sense that because we know from Xavier that Eldian kings with the power to coordinate were able to change the genetic makeup of Eldians. And we do know from Kiyomi, as I said, it's a Chekhov's gun situation where she mentioned blood tests 
that being the only right, viable right. way of changing Eldian to tell. Right, right, because- right. I'm with you. I'm with you on everything except for, like, I get it, right? So currently there is a blood test. If the people are virtually indistinguishable, they look indistinguishable, they can't be identified in a blood test. But but are you, I mean, I guess what good would that do? Are you saying that Armin would this recommend thing- this to Aaron as a plan B? Rather than genociding everybody do this, this will give us freedom. I feel like that's what we're leading in the sense that the genocide could have well and already be happening, but Armin can like lead up to Aaron. Soften it a little bit or something. Soften it. Because at the end of the day, if you can't tell who's an Eldian from who's not, and society's been broken down to the point that people have been dispersed randomly. So Mm -hmm. Eldians and non-Eldians, who, by the way, aren't, as I said, a racial group because of all the mixed breeding that the Eldians enforced on other people. Right. It would be almost impossible to check who is an Eldian and who isn't. So if Aaron changes the genetic makeup of Eldians and serves the connection between them and the coordinate, it's basically freedom because they all get to start over again. And that would be the Ragnarok ending, only that it's not just one person, but it's an entire species of human beings who get to start over again. Because you can't tell who's an Eldian from who's not an Eldian when society has been broken down so far that everyone's lost someone it's like this a homogenous group that's like oh i recognize dave and i recognize this person it's like society in general has been broken down and that is to me okay that's the best plan if you're going to go along the genocidal path it's kill a lot of people so far that people disperse enough there's enough chaos as we've seen with the eldian uh what would i call it i wouldn't call it a revolution but they're clearly not accepting Malians telling them not to panic, right? So it's all a matter of, I don't know, not letting them regain control while being able to check who's an Eldian and who's not. I am sure that that is the best chance to give both non-Eldians and Eldians in chance, a chance sorry, to rebuild because I don't see a situation where you know, the Avengers come in and save everyone. <laughs> and then, you know, Elgins end up being like a actual group that is respected because you can save people, as has been shown in our history. We can reunite and fight against the big bad guy. But as soon as that threat is gone, we're just going to start pointing guns at each other again. So I feel like restarting society from the ground up and like destroying everything so far that people have to li- literally stop from zero not like cavemen or anything, but literally society has to start from scratch again. And the point that they literally can't tell who Eldians from who's not, that would be a very uh, satisfying. And as he said, it's not like a, it's like a lukewarm ending in the sense that it's like, it's bittersweet, but it's not like a happy ending or a sad ending completely. Everyone loses something, but at least Eldians have a chance to, start over with the rest of the world. But, okay, just so that I'm clear on this, you don't think that that's what Aaron is planning? You don't think that he's no, thought all no. about this? He's not, and... he's not some uh, benevolent, Okay, this isn't some master plan kind of thing. I think Aaron genuinely wants to nuke the entire world. And okay. understandably But you so. think this could be the compromise that happens that makes the best of whatever is left? Yes, whatever's left is the best way to put it. Okay. I feel like Armin would be the best person to do this and he would live up to the name he has of being humanity savior although there is a problem that paradisians haven't had their society broken so they would end up being the supreme group 
in that world after Eren. So there is the risk with people like Flock that they become like a fascist country that controls everyone else. It's like they're above everyone else kind of thing. I just hope that that isn't the case. Did you ever read the Dr. Seuss book, The Sneetches, where some of the Sneetches have stars in their bellies and some don't, and there's this huge... No, I haven't. And then in the end, the stars all get confused. Like people just randomly get... It, it ends the racism of the world and everybody gets along. It's like a Sneetches ending. <laughs> no, no. But it, that kind of sounds like what I'm proposing, I guess. Uh-huh. Are you saying we have to take inspiration from a children's book? I mean... It's, it's, it's poignant, so why not? <laughs> We all draw inspiration from somewhere. I'm surprised I haven't seen this everywhere else, so I'm just going to leave this as like a bookmark of from when <laughs> it comes true. So someone... All right. <laughs> so Leslie said it. There you go. Yes. I don't completely hate it. I actually... Yeah, I wouldn't mind something like that, I guess. Well, the world has to change somehow, right? It can't, it can't just go on like it is. Something massive has to happen. Something has to... Yeah. And I don't think the rumbling is it. <laughs> We asked that question in the poll, and um, Eric, uh, Cor- Corin, Eric, our former guest and yes, former host of the A Castle Titan podcast. Yes, he he's <laughs> actually the one that wrote in the question: which ending do you want? What what ending do you want this series to have? Which I thought and it was a multiple select, so people could choose as many as they wanted. And basically, the consensus: there's you know a lot of things that people could choose from. But nobody wants a happy ending. Anything but a straightforward happy ending was one of the most popular options. People want there to be consequences for this. You know, they want either the rumbling to succeed and then things going wrong in other ways. But, and I do think you're right. I mean, nobody, I don't think anybody wants the rumbling to succeed and be the end of the story, right? Or do they? Some do. do. Yeah. They're like, oh, it would be the best manga slash anime ending. Even now, with Flock being who Flock is? I, I think some people genuinely like Flock. Like, speaking from the Yeager's <laughs> camp, I see a lot of people making the argument that a lot of people, majority of people who like Flock, it's like, kind of like a fuck you to people who don't like Flock. However, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who genuinely like his charisma. They think he's charismatic in the sense that he rouse people up the way he... He's a tyrant. Like, he has all the benchmarks of, like, a dictator. You know those you know, uh, loud mouth dictators that just say what, like, no filter kind of people. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he's like an asshole, but it's like a cool asshole. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> the asshole, he's an asshole who knows he's an asshole. That's like the worst kind. So it's because, like, fellow assholes are like, hey, I like him. Like, he says it how it is. Like, he knows he's an asshole, and I relate to that. So I don't think Flock knows that, though. I think Flock knows he's an I don't asshole. think Flock is that with, self-aware. With with sarcasm, he's a, he knows. Do you remember that scene with, uh, I don't remember what character he was talking to, but where he held his finger up like, shh. That was the funniest. You can't tell me that person doesn't know he's an asshole. The smirk on his face? No, he knows he's an asshole. 100%. And I think that's what, what people gravitate to. A lot of people. The rest of it is just people who just hate Flock. So people are kind of like, okay, if you hate him, then I like him kind of thing. I'm lukewarm. I used to like Flock because he said it, like he said things people didn't want to hear, which were actually the truth. But now he's just an asshole. And it's like, yeah. you can't defend his asshole behavior. He was my voice in Serum Bowl. I liked his ideas back then. I'm not even going to get into this because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. 
I still think Owen should have gotten the zero. And a lot of people are like, oh, haven't you gotten over it? This and... No. 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 <laughs> I haven't. Because stuff like this happens, and I'm like, if Erwin, you know, you just make that, if Erwin was here, this wouldn't happen. And you sound like an asshole, but it's like, this wouldn't be happening. This would not be happening. But it's kind of bad, though, right? Like, Armin the, has redeemed himself in a sense. The fate of chapter. the world would rest on Erwin's hands. Like, only he could. I mean, he, he's depressed, but he would have done it. Armin's depressed. Well, you can't even say he died happy. It's just like, <laughs> he died not completely depressed. Montaki's <laughs> a lost word. I say he died happy. He died smiling. <laughs> okay. Isayama recently said he tried to draw Erwin dying smiling. I think I think he died satisfied. He, he tried to draw Erwin dying with a dying with a smile. Oh, because he died knowing what kind of a man he was. He died feeling like the great commander, and he left the future in Levi's hands. So I think so. I think that's a good ending. But moving right along, um, when we asked about which ending is acceptable, the options yes. that have gotten more than 25% are they achieve nothing, all of them fail, falling to Aaron, which I don't, I don't know who those people are. They achieve nothing, all of them falling to Aaron. They don't stop the rumbling. They support Aaron completely? Or? I guess. I guess. 25%. Um, they don't stop the rumbling, but achieve something else. That's actually the most popular, and that would fit in with your theory. No, no, no. The most popular is, I'm just Sunny Sayama's wild ride. Just give me whatever, man. <laughs> we don't count that one. That one's the cop-out answer. That's for anybody who <laughs> want to actually think about this. Right. The others that got over 25%, anything but a straightforward happy ending. Nobody wants that. They stop the rumbling, paradise survives, but things aren't perfect. So I, I, th I think the scenario that you've described would work. I don't see how this doesn't happen. Again, it's like a crack theory, but if I'd, if I'd, if I'd rule, it's not out of the rules of uh, possibility to me. And it would you know, play to both sides. Like, hey, not everyone died. Not everyone from a certain ethnic group died for you to be free, I guess so. It's as happy as you're going to get in the time. Well, people don't want the power of friendship, but it has a little bit of yeah. the... The only people I see not liking that would be, well, actually many, but <laughs> there's some prejudice against Armin. Like, people don't want Armin to... To do anything. Be the boy wonder. Right. I mean, he's not being a boy wonder. It's not like turning into a colossal titan and punching Aaron or something. <laughs> well, it's kind of like he's doing what he's always been doing, which is being a tactician. And all I've wanted for Ar from Armin is being able to do what Erwin did, which was minimize losses while being able to accept that, yes, people will die. People will die, but at least we're going to do what's best. So if he actually takes that mantle on and then says, this is my plan, this is the best thing, do this, and then we can keep both people alive, then I don't, I don't see how that can't play into the themes that he's been built up for and his character development from the beginning of the show, really. So I think my chances of this coming, or at least somewhat part of this theory, like being like played out, is like a, right now, 60-40, 60 on the chances that part of this comes true. But I'm not too sure that it would be as happy as, as this. Yeah. Mm. I think there'd be a lot of carnage before anything ever gets good again just in style with Isayama I guess yeah I'm just curious to see how much carnage we still have left 
a lot. <laughs> we haven't seen a single Colossal Titan stomp anyone. Uh, no, because they're slow when, as hell. Like, they're not even, like, barely in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt uh, Haunters on, on uh, Twitter asked us, do you feel like the rumbling has been too casual? I feel like 122 and 123 built it up as apocalyptic, but the, fa- the past three chapters, the rumbling has been reduced to a casual backdrop. I, I think, yeah, just wait for it. It's coming. I like that it's been a casual backdrop. I think that that is something Isayama has actually done well by just having it happening while these events are going on. I've enjoyed that feeling of why is nobody looking at this? Why are they taking this so casually? You know, I, I've, liked, I've liked how he's placed them, actually. I feel like it's, it's not been taken lightly. Like people have had panic attacks. People have had like flights of depression, like Jean, Jean, Jean. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't think people are taking it lightly. But as, as I said, this chapter is the only time where I felt, yeah, pie joke, wrong time. Like mm-hmm. millions of people are about to die. You don't, you don't make pie jokes right now. It was so weird. It's like, hey, remember all the people that also on parodies? got killed because of the rumbling let's party let's have beer and pie what was that <laughs> i couldn't believe what i was reading i thought i was reading fanfic but also the um, like oh we're on a mission to save the world but let's stop for pie first what it was so strange and i, I i'll die on that hill people can argue with me on that i, I don't believe that it wasn't stupid i'm sorry yeah it, and then of course the meeting honey and like no conversation taking place that we we as the readers could follow pie <sighs> just pie oh yeah which flavor pie do you think they were eating <laughs> i don't eat pie i'm no american so no. <laughs> okay so i was really upset with the chapter poll choices this time around because all the pie flavors were so quintessentially american that i was I incredibly <laughs> offended <laughs> Well, I know who wrote that question, but I won't throw him under the bus. <laughs> I, I, after I the podcast, I will tell you where to direct your complaints. Oh, no, I know. You already told me who wrote that question. But I'm, I'm, I'm civil. I won't take it out on the innocent. Take it out on you, who approves everything and uploads everything. Um, yeah, 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 but they were fruit pies, for sure. Pies. Yes, because the region I'm from, they're known for their pies and... Those are definitely fruit pies, not meat pies. No, I don't even care what type of pie it was. It, it didn't justify. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It, but I just no. wanna, I just wanna, no. you know, I'm still brand upset. at the Americans because they deserve it. That's all. Oh yeah, they definitely deserve it. I'm looking but at you. No. Apricot pie for the win. No, <laughs> just no. no pie. Jo- <laughs> Ow! And if anyone comments pie jokes, I'm gonna comment pig jokes. From one, two, two. Ooh. We're just gonna get more toxic until it never ends. Until we yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until we all genocide each other. Mm-hmm. Until we genocide. That's what's coming. Or we start making uh, those. What's that thing again? The machine that Zachary had? Oh, the sh- Ugh, No. We're just gonna get more depraved as we go. So just no more pie jokes, please. It's, we've suffered enough. I agree. No more pie jokes. And how about Isayama promises no more dental hygiene jokes? Because that also... Those weren't even jokes. It was just like, what? Huh? Huh? Like, what's going his, on? His, his sense of humor was a bit off this... I feel chapter. like he was depressed because of what was about to happen in the story. 
<laughs> he knew what chaos he was about to ensue. I was like, sauna, 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 sauna. He was just like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take it out. Just have like a mini attack with my jokes here, so like I can prepare myself for what's about to happen. I just hope that's the case. I just hope that's the case because I, I did have to laugh though because in Dutch we have this saying which is like to laugh like a farmer with a toothache, and that's the only way I can describe Connie's face. <laughs> What's worse, Connie's face in this chapter or Yelena's face when she was looking at Armin? You know the thing? Mm. Oh. I thought I, I this I, face was This was just bad. I think Yelena's was creepy. Yeah, but there's, a just... post, there's a post going around Tumblr that has Armin's Jessamine face, Yelena's face, and Connie's <laughs> face. And uh, it's honestly horrifying to look at all of them together. You could just make people die. Why did you just make people die rather than us making, like, watching characters make face unnatural faces? It, it doesn't make sense. I just hope they admit it. And that's the only, like, thing that I can say about this chapter that I can hold out hope for is that they give it the uprising arc treatment where, like, they just fix things like this in the anime. It's yeah. like, no pie yeah. jokes. Well, you can leave the pie jokes in, but no toothbrush jokes, that's for sure. Just... Just fix it. <laughs> That's the best thing I can ask from the anime. Just <laughs> fix it. Because it's a mess currently. <laughs> well, my understanding is that the chapter flopped in, in Japan too. Like they were having confusion over the tone and the action. And they also felt like it wasn't just us for a change. Okay. Because I feel like there's usually a dichotomy between Western fans and Central Asian fans. Like especially around Japan and China and Korea. There's usually like a we we like different characters usually like mm-hmm. like Bertolt does very well apparently here and a lot of people like Bertolt here too but he's not exactly the top five for a lot of people to say the least but he is there so there's there's a lot of differences in the fandom so at least we can agree on this chapter sucking apparently we can so that's good sorry guys and <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get some hate for that but I'm sorry this sucks. Okay, so that's all there is to say about Pi. So next is Mikasa and Louise. And like I said in the podcast document, I would be happy not to talk about any of this. I think the whole thing, (laughs) it reminds me of what um, Leslie was saying before about Levi being reduced to, you know, I will kill Zeke. I hate Mikasa being reduced to the scarf. And I also think that this was a moment that Isayama intended to come across differently than it did. And it, it just didn't work. I agree. I think I think the what they did or what he tried to do, rather, he did certain things well with the whole Mikasa thing, but also certain things not well. He portrayed that Mikasa was selfish as a person. She cared about people she cared about, which was at least something. Like if you're going to give some characterization, at least something, right? Because she's been kind of like a blank slate for most of the story. So at least it shows that okay, yeah, she cares about her friend she doesn't care about louise louise is a fangirl to her she doesn't she wants a scarf and then she took her scarf and then she left that was it it didn't mean anything deeper it wasn't like some some uh, retribution against people who supported Aaron or whatever it was just i want my scarf you don't matter to me i'm taking my scarf that was it although one thing i would like to talk about is what louise said about Aaron, telling her that um and i do see that it was an inconsistency in the panel because it showed that Aaron has like his jacket and his old outfit that he didn't have while he was in his jail cell. He's dressed like how he is post jail cell, 
while he's in the jail cell, if that makes sense. So that's, that's an inconsistency there. But what he did say about destroying the scarf, I don't know how to take that. I, I feel like, obviously, on the surface level, you just say, oh, Aaron hates Mikasa. So whatever, right? But I do feel like it means more than that, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a, him saying she should just destroy the scarf to see if she can kind of thing. So it's like, if this future isn't like set in stone, as I think it is, destroy the scarf and let me see if that actually happens. Kind of thing. The dream sequence, you mean? Or, or the end as he saw? Like the end... Uh... The end that he, if he saw... If, I'm pretty sure he saw Mikasa at some point during that. So if he saw her without her scarf and she did... I'm guessing she had the scarf in, at the end, right? Mm. So scarf was destroyed. At least it proved something to Aaron. Obviously, I'm reading too deep into it, but with a scene as lackluster as that, I don't, that's like the best I can make out of it. To me, Aaron telling her to throw away the scarf, you know, basically his intention of driving them away, it, it kind of reinforces that, right? If you get it, throw it away. He wants Armin and Mikasa to reject him. So I can see why Aaron would have said that before 112, because he was planning on rejecting. He was planning on pushing them away as forcefully, hit him where it hurts. I do agree with him beating the fuck out of Armin, though. I, I completely back that. If I was in that position <laughs> of beating up Armin, Armin deserved that. And I think that knocks <laughs> the sense to him to make him how he is now. That's why he had that panic attack. Like, he actually, when Ar- like Aaron called him useless, Aaron called you useless, you have to make some, you know, second thoughts about the way your character is going or the personality you're having at the moment. Because he was kind of useless. I'm, I'm sorry. So at least now he's redeeming himself, and I can thank Aaron for that, for being some sense into him. Huh. I'm not touching that one. Um, <laughs> I'm dying on this hill. You, yeah. It is funny, though, how differently we want to read that. But, I mean, the, my whole Aaron- point, though, with the um, Louise Mika's scene is that I think, like everything else this chapter, it's probably going to come up again. There was probably some meaning there. There was something he was trying to achieve with that, and the message got lost. I mean, I'm team Mikasa always. And on this too, I mean, I I just, everything about that scene, just people's interpretations of it bother me. At this point, again, it seems like a plot point that had no purpose. And would you agree that she seemed selfish though? No, no. I actually talked to Hmm. a a friend of mine who's a translator, uh, a -hmm. Japanese translator, and she read it and she said that in her way of thinking as the Japanese, as in the Japanese text, that it was like um, that the way that it could have been translated is that Louise was goading Mikasa into taking the scarf back. One thing that Louise loves about Mikasa is her devotion to Aaron and seeing Mikasa without the scarf means that Mikasa is no longer devoted to Aaron. So it was kind of Louise's way of trying to push them together. Like I've got your scarf. What are you going to do about it? It was her way of trying to, remind Mikasa of her devotion to Aaron and try to get Mikasa back on team Aaron, which Mikasa mm-hmm. was not. And if you read it that way, it explains Mikasa's irritation where she's like, oh, for crying out loud, give me back the stupid scarf. You know, she's not going to put it back on. I think that that explanation actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. And I didn't get that. That's the thing. I didn't get that from that scene. And I, I wish I did. 
if that was the meaning behind it, if that was what it was meant to convey, it wasn't handled properly. And I just hope the anime does a better job or at least shows it better. Right. Handles the scene better. Cause, and Louise just died. Yeah. <laughs> Louise just died. So it's, I mean, it was pretty people, cold. Like, I mean. Yeah, it was like Jesus. Louise looked up to her and probably followed in her footsteps as much as he could. And Mikasa yeah. unintentionally leaded her or led her to her death. And Mikasa's like, just give me my scarf, bitch, and die. Like, literally, she just had shrapnel stuck in her stomach. Like, do you mind? Yeah. Like, a little, like, empathy would be nice right now. So I'm, I'm surprised you don't agree with the whole selfie thing, because, like... I don't. She could have shown some more empathy. Like, yeah. Mikasa but isn't, I... like, cold as a lot of people would like to uh, portray. No. And that's where, if this scene, the way, the way this scene reads, it's like Levi, okay? I go back to that. Where Levi wakes up and his first thing is, I'm going to kill Zeke. Like, that doesn't make sense to what I know about Levi as a character. Levi's always... That was funny. It was funny, but it didn't feel like, that's not Levi. Levi does care about that, but he's bigger than that. He's more than that. And I think that that holds true with Mikasa. She's more than that. She's, I hate seeing both of them being reduced the way that that the way that this chapter kind of reduced them made them very one dimensional. Yeah, I agree. I I didn't mind it that being the first thing he mentioned, and he he did talk to Hanji and made her feel better about what was going on. Did he? What did he say that to make Hanji feel better? Because Hanji was all like whining about like we should just live in the forest, and he told her you're not like that. Yeah, but all he said was we're gonna go kill Zeke. <laughs> yeah, okay, like, ignore that part. <laughs> Like, he literally had no conversation, no, like, person-to-person conversation. Like, like, look, we're the only ones left. You lost an eye. I just lost my fingers. What are we doing? Nothing like, mentioned about the rumbling or Aaron. Nothing. Or... nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's... That, no that, okay, that bothered me, too. We're, like, the last survivors of the group that was originally here. You know, ponder about the people they've lost and how to keep this going. That could have been a very powerful scene. And... While we were like speculating for the past few months, we thought it was going to be a powerful scene. But what it turned down to is Motaku said, must kill Zeke. Let's go help our like our bat the people who were just fighting a couple of minutes ago to go stop Aaron. Like he, he Levi didn't even talk about Aaron. He didn't say a word about Aaron. One word. He didn't say anything about the rumbling. All he said was, Yeah, Zeke. Aaron, yeah. Aaron can come later. Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. In the context of things, it's a bit weird, right? Like somehow Zeke is still a bigger threat than Aaron at this point. I was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" I couldn't. Be, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just shitting on this chapter completely. There were some good things, as I said. The Onyankopon scene where he talked to the imperialist was a very poignant scene, and it displayed a lot about the people and the mindset, and it was very thematic. It, it played well into this chapter. But this, this whole Levi thing, no. And Mikasa as well, no. It just didn't work. I just refuse to believe. We've seen Mikasa's character. We know who she is. She is, you know, even when she said the thing to Historia in chapter, I don't know if it was 48 or 49, where she said, I have people I care about and, you know, I don't have time to spare or ruin my heart for anybody else. You know, I made that decision five years ago. That's never how Mikasa has acted. Like, even after she said that, she did I disagree. I disagree. Really? And I'll, and I'll tell I mean, you why. Well, let me tell you why. I, I, if, you, if you look at the subsequent chapters, Mikasa doesn't say much, but she didn't kill Emir. 
after they got back across the walls, if you flip the pages of the chapter, anytime you see Historia, you see Mikasa with her. Mikasa clung, not clung, supported Historia. It's in the background, but it's always there. I think Mikasa knew that Historia lost her Aaron, basically, the person she yeah. cared about more than any other, and Mikasa stuck with her. And Isayama said in an interview recently that if you want to understand Mikasa, you have to look at her expressions and at what she's doing, not what she's saying. And there is there is nothing about this character who has been heartless towards others. Her treatment of Aaron after Liberio when he killed children, stopping Gabby and Kaya, for this to suddenly be, give me my scarf. It's not, it doesn't fit who Mikasa is. Therefore, I accept the interpretation that my Japanese friend shared with me. And I had another person who reads Japanese go look in those fandoms. And that idea is being conveyed elsewhere as well. So there is argument about what this scene, this scene was not well done. Whatever message Isayama wanted did not convey. But there are alternative explanations that make a lot of sense and i'd honestly prefer if what you just said like the explanation you just gave me from the japanese translator was true if that was the case i'd honestly prefer to what we got with that being said i'd like to explain the disagreement i have with you okay she's not a cold-blooded person the point you made about the her choosing her friends and she doesn't have any space in the heart for other people and you're not agreeing with that it's true she yes she's not the cold-blooded person she might come off as or like the robot she comes off as but it's been shown many times that if it comes down to someone she doesn't care about versus someone she cares about she's going to at a whim kill that person to protect hers and in many ways that's kind of like Aaron. all right give me an example i want you to give me an example of where she killed somebody she didn't kill them. I'm saying she's, she would readily do it. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody in this manga would, would readily do that. If, they had, if, if lives were in danger and they have to choose between one of their own or some rando, they're going to protect one of their own. That's true of every single character. But tell me a situation in this manga where Mikasa has ever been heartless or prioritized somebody to the detriment of somebody else. She was willing to kill Levi and Flo during a ceremony. We can, we can debate on the Levi part because she was trying to subdue him. You can make mm-hmm. the argument that she wasn't willing to kill Levi. But I think everyone knows she would have killed Flock if he came any closer. That being said, like, I understand why she did it, right? I don't, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, by the way. No, it's like, not it's a bad thing. But humanizing her, if anything. It's not more... That's not right? on par with a situation with Louise and the scarf and her grabbing the scarf back and saying, give me the scarf. It's not the same. No, that's not the point. I'm that's what I mean. Casual cruelty. When in this manga has Mikasa been casually cruel to anybody? No, no. She's, she's not a dick, but she is selfish, as a lot of people are. It's a human trait. And it further humanizes her. But she is a selfish person when it comes to the people that she loves. Mm-hmm. As I said, that's probably why she relates to Aaron a lot. Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people, and a lot of people were cheering, actually. A lot of people were like, she should have killed Flock. Because she was ready to if Hanji didn't intervene and stop her. She would have easily killed Flock. And I doubt she would have had any qualms with it. A fellow comrade of ours that was just trying to save the commander. So she's not an angel, but she's definitely not an, an asshole. She's, she's no Flock. Right. She, it, she does have flaws, which Absolutely. further humanizes in my eyes. Yeah. But the I Louise agree with you thing, there. I just think this casual 
cruelty that people it was just uncalled for what she did with louise like she's dying <laughs> like louise is dying and she's a kid apparently i don't she was probably like mikasa's age post time skip that's what she looked like like 15 16 so it's like cut the girl some slack like leave her with the scarf until she dies and take it that would even seemed more wakeful like taking the scarf off a dead body like just give her what she wants but no just give me my scarf i guess i mean at the end louise was also like i didn't regret anything like also right. kind of poking her so or <laughs> was she, she poking her or was she i mean yeah obviously mikasa taking the scarf back and that's what i think plays into mikasa or louise wanting mikasa to take the scarf back because even at the end, she looked very satisfied with what happened. She's like, I regret nothing, blah, blah, blah. So I really think that the way that, that this scene just fell flat, I do think it was trying to yeah. portray something very different. And that's the best way you can tell that this, this chapter was not executed properly was by the abundance of different imp- uh, interpretations mm-hmm. of like certain scenes that shouldn't have this much leeway. They should have been more straightforward. It should have been more straightforward for you to understand what is trying to be conveyed here. But unfortunately, a lot of scenes just have a lot of space for, like, speculation. It's like, what did they mean here? What did they mean here? Like, this was so vague and abstract, and they just jumped to another scene immediately that we didn't really have any time to ponder about what was going on, the real interactions between these people. No, you know, usually you have time where, like, a character's, like, a like a panel of like a character's facial expression to what someone just said or mm-hmm. like zoom into their eyes to see like how they're responding to something there was none of that none of that even in levi or just choose and that's your the character. problem like, here Falcor. yeah you've got fandom saying oh levi is nothing but thou oh mikasa is cruel she's hardly you know it's yeah. like it it ruins the characterization i feel like there's a characterization that's been set for these characters and one thoughtless chapter and suddenly Mika says heartless. It's very sloppily done. And a lot of people aren't going to put the time into it to think about it. It's the same mentality that people have summarizing things unnecessarily that they had with Armin, like they had with Mikasa and Levi that they have with Diego. And it's just unfortunate because although it is thematically relevant, what Isayama is trying to do with Diegoist on like what happened with Levi and Mikasa, like it does make sense what he's trying to convey with the Jaegerist, but it is that oversimplification of someone or a character or like an ideal mm-hmm. that just furthers this misunderstanding with the fandom. And everyone who uh, supports the Jaegerist is suddenly a brown shirt. It's just, it doesn't make sense, unfortunately. But hopefully subsequent chapters fix this. I don't know how, but I hope they fix it for sure. I hope so too. I hope so too, because it's like, you know, one, one bad chapter and it, it, like I said, it changes characterizations, it changes ideas. People aren't going to put that much effort. This would have been a great, I think I've said this a few times, this would have been a great chapter or this is a great chapter. If you take the time to write the additional chapter of content that it needs (laughs) to make sense. And then it's a great chapter. Yeah. This chapter felt like 120 if it was just confusion. (laughs) <laughs> 120 was short and brief and it didn't feel like a whole chapter this chapter feels like that but it was a chapter too much even but it had the same feeling like you just finished the chapter and it's like huh what was that that's that's the feeling i got from this chapter that was exactly <laughs> my sentiment what just happened like suddenly yeah. were the avengers and 
that last scene, I know uh, we've basically talked about everything, but we need to just that last scene where he had the Avengers stance, like superhero stance, was like to save the world. It's like, really? Like, this is what we're doing now? Like, Connie is like yeah. the figurehead of this? Yeah. I mean, just because of how it was portrayed, I just hope they feel miserably. Oh, they are going to feel miserably. <laughs> I think that's the point that they're building up to all these people. So what you think they're going to, by the power of friendship and... and <laughs> well, uh, that's actually, before this chapter, I wanted this to happen and I wanted them. Yeah, a lot of... Down, but now I'm like, no, you can fail. <laughs> <laughs> this is corny. We can't... If Aaron gets stopped by Connie and Rhino, <laughs> Rhino, who he's beaten to a pulp several times. Oh, now relax. Relax. Rhino has kicked Aaron's ass plenty of times too. When he literally didn't know anything about the world. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well be beating up a toddler. It's like, it's like playing a game with your <laughs> nephew that doesn't know the rules. And you just beating the shit out of him. It's like, that doesn't really... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that doesn't really count. Uh, if you want good, war, like, you can get war. Come at me, like, bro. genocide going on. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, remember that time? It's been months, but you called me the nicest of the heathens? Yes. Yes. I stand like Luna is not the nicest of the heathens. <laughs> and yeah. you are on thin ground, buddy. <laughs> Look, I came into the to the enemy's camp. I'm well well where I am. And I, You're not look, leaving in one piece, I'm telling you right now. I can tell you for certainty there's a lot of us. And the thing about the Jaegeris is we go into <laughs> hiding when chapters portray us strongly. It's like when chapters show us in a bad light, we just oh the Jaegeris heart no, Aaron is a bad guy. And then when he comes back, it's like we pull off our Aaron Jaeger did nothing wrong shirts and just put it back on. So <laughs> So I promise you, like, you think there's, there's a lot of us. To quote Legion, there's more of us than you think. <laughs> Unfortunately, you might be right. Hey, the one thing that I am interested in is if Sean will indeed find out what Reiner did to Marco, now that Marco's been brought up again. I that is so. one interaction I would be looking forward to. That would be the best thing to do, right? If anything, I didn't even think about that, actually. I just said that earlier in the podcast. Were you not listening? I'm sorry. Like, I, I heard that, you talk about Marco and the replications for that, but I didn't think about Reiner. Reiner ordered the execution. Annie removed the gear. Yeah, but you never specifically mentioned Reiner and Jean. You didn't mention Jean, like, them having a one-to-one conversation. I'm sorry for Marco. Jean, kind of Jean mentioned Marco in this chapter, and I think yeah. it's because it's going to come into play. And I think the two most awful deaths in this series were Marco's and Bart's. And neither of them has had... Marco Neither. and Mike. Omike, Mike. You don't think Mark- Bert's was awful? I mean, Bert is screaming. Like, Ma- Mike got eaten alive, like, in the worst Yeah, sense. no, I think, uh, for me, Mike and Nanabas worse, I think. Right. Mike and Marco and that girl who okay. had the issues. I forget her name. Yeah, Nanaba. That's Nanaba. Yeah, she, right. she had a rough. She had Would a rough. you agree with this, that the morality of Marco's death, uh, not Marco, Bert, the morality of the... 104th, standing around, watching Bert be eaten by Titan Armin, and there being no commentary at all about that. Like, nobody second-guessed it. Nobody said, why did we have to do this? There was no tears. There was no, I You're mean. the wrong person. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying. There, that, that, there, 
I'm sorry. Like, Can that have happened without there being any consequences? There have been no consequences for that yet, except maybe for Armin. Armin has to the fact that he ate Bertold. But I just think it's coming. It was an enemy combatant. Right. He, he died. And so was Marco. And so was Marco. Marco did nothing t- to them. He didn't even know that they were the enemy. He could have like outed he, them as the enemy. He overheard a conversation that they were the enemy. But he tried to have a conversation with them. Bert, Bert didn't try to have that conversation. It was like, let's talk this out. He didn't. He was like, okay, you're dead. You have to die now. So he, he called the... He, he asked for it. I'm sorry. I don't like, see I, a lot of... Oh. I didn't. I feel look. I'm look. I'm, this is another. This is another hill I'm going to die on. Okay. Yeah, you are the going warriors, to die on this hill. I'll make sure. <laughs> the warriors. I have no empathy in the sense that oh, wow. I feel bad for them. It's wow. like okay, cool. They were indoctrinated as much as any other Malian Eldian one. I can understand that, and I feel bad for them for that. But the minute you take up arms again, like Reiner did, like recently taking up arms again. Oh yeah, I'm going to go fight. You expect me to feel bad for you? I'm sorry. If you die, that's on you. Wow. That's on you. I'm sorry. And you still are Jaeger as well. He's, he's I a, have he's no words. Good, no words. He's a good character. And your lack of empathy. He's a good character. I, I empathize with him. He's a good character. And he's a, he's a good person at heart. Although, when you pick up a gun and shoot someone, and that person shoots back at you, don't act like you're some martyr. That... Well, he never acted like he was a martyr. No, but the people who like him act like he is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I honestly have no idea what we have discussed the last four hours, but I feel like it's everything. Um, Polka did ask us about that Avengers Assemble panel. How did we feel about the Marvel-esque nature of it? We all hated it. And I was... Everyone hated it. Everyone did. Like the chapter. The poor people, the, the least favorite moment was Avengers Assemble. And... Uh, yeah. How many? So, what percent was that? Of curiosity? That question, least favorite moment, it, it was split up. I mean, there was a lot to hate in this chapter, and a lot of people, I personally chose the Louise moment, which got 11%, but um, about one fifth chose Avengers Assembles. And it's then 21%. Oh, it's more than well, well, but you think number two, the one right behind it was Flock's speech and the Ragago subplot. So, I mean, it, it has the majority by almost 10 points, nine points, which is really significant in a chapter like this. I mean, it was just, there was a lot of things that people disliked for a lot of reasons in the chapter, but that one has the landslide, uh, that Avengers Assemble moment. So well, it was, it was pretty, horrible, pretty hated. Yeah. And I just, I'm just trying to imagine, well, to be honest, it seems that this would be the first episode first part of an episode but i'm mm-hmm. just trying to see an episode ending on this like that to be continued scene just panning out after this it's that's the worst ending of a chapter i've ever seen it wouldn't have been quite as bad like to have falco smiling like these people are traumatized and back to the like, camera the world is and... about to end guys Do you mind? like really we're gonna have like a whole pan with any turning sideways all badass was the funniest thing like an ironically funny thing I've ever seen. Like, he drew her like that was supposed to be a badass pose. Like, oh, look, I kicked Rhino. Isn't that consistency? That's what is that what character consistency is supposed to be? Like, oh, she kicked him before and she's kicking him now. That's that's progression, I guess. It did make me feel like the reason Hitch was written out of the story is because there could only be Black Widow in the Avengers. Like, that's why Hitch <laughs> was gone, which really bugs me. This whole chapter was just, uh, it was like a red pill. 
just to wake like this could go badly but this could also go well just remember that he's not he's not like some benevolent guy Isayama can make mistakes and I think I needed to see that because the fandom has had this whole idolization of him and for good reason because his story is magnificent right but there's been a thing where people have acted like he's literally like Almost like no Aaron wrong. himself. Yeah. Like he can do no wrong. He can make no mistakes. He's, he's Yama's a bloody genius, which he is. But he is capable of making mistakes, as every one of us is. And I think this chapter is uh, an example of that. And I think yeah. we should support him in every way we can. We should also keep an open, open mind and be able to criticize him when he makes mistakes. So, yeah. And at some point, it's going to become a meme, like this chapter. Oh, already. When the, when the story gets picks up again and is as good as it was prior to this chapter, or like another one, two, two happens, we're gonna forget about it. And then at the end of the story, we're just gonna come and join together and laugh about this because this is comedy at its peak. Like that pie scene, we will remember that like years after the story ends. And then that's all you can ask for, really. Like a good story to make you laugh. <laughs> it's memorable. To say the least. Actually, um, Isayama did say that in one of his very early interviews that would rather it be memorable. Something about good art versus memorable art, and I, I, I might be quoting that wrong. If I am, I will edit it. But that was when his art was bad. So and now his art has gotten better, but the storytelling is. Ugh. I do want to caution people to stop dogpiling on it, as you mentioned earlier. People have a tendency to, when you see negativity, you just pile up on it just to either be edgy or to join the group and be like, oh, I hate this chapter. So horrible. Like, it was bad, but you can constructively criticize it without, you know, acting like the story is like the worst thing you've ever read ever because it's not. I mean, it's not, it's just one chapter that was bad, right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. There have been bad chapters for almost everything. Like, I'm pretty sure the best book you've ever read had, like, this one scene where you're like, ah, oh, that could have, that could have, we could have gone without that. So, yeah. I Absolutely. think it just sucks because a lot of things had a lot of buildup. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it felt flat. It was just a that, random yeah. chapter that didn't go so well. I would have understood it, but this was meant to be the, you know, the crescendo of, like, certain themes and character buildups that just didn't land. It didn't land a, it didn't make a like it didn't stick the landing and yeah it it was uh underwhelming to say the least so hopefully next chapter one two seven hopefully next chapter i agree at least reiner is awake i was afraid he would sleep (laughs) through the whole thing again what 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 (laughs) what what did you think about the kick in the face luna yeah what's to be expected all right. At least Reiner's awake. That's chapter 120. That is your summary for chapter yes, 120. Yes, that's, that's the final conclusion about one two, Okay. <laughs> Before we end, our friend Polka did send us a quick fire round. And I think what I'm going to do, he actually sent us some names, but also some one name answers, which I think since we're running out of time would be fun to answer. So I'm going to stay out of this. I'm just going to ask you two for your answer. Okay. As I read this list. So you have to quickly give, it's an either or, and give us your 
answer. Would you prefer a Marvel-like ending or a Mist-like ending? Ooh. Mist, definitely. Mm, I, I'm, I'm for Endgame ending. With some key characters dying, I guess. Okay, so Marvel for you? Yeah, I would go with Marvel. Who do you want to die next? Connie. Floch. I was almost surprised when uh, Jean pu- pushed him out of the way. This chapter, I was like, God damn it, Sean, you were supposed to kill him, not save him. And then I figured out it was part of the plan, but yeah. The next question is, who do you think will die next? I just want it to be either Zeke or from the 104th, like Connie, but Connie's predictable, and I don't see him dying now. Zeke or Connie? Or both? I think either uh, Zeke or Shadis. Okay. Who has been the best character in the post-rumbling chapters? Leslie? John or Yon Yankopan? Yeah, I'll probably have to go with Jean as well. Yeah. What is the most hated character that you like currently? Who is the most hated character? He yeah. said what, so... Spoken like a true Englishman. Unless he's opening it up to inanimate objects. So <laughs> does any of us like Pi? Because Pi would be a good example of a most hated character that you like. I don't think any of us liked Pi. I mean, I do like Pi in general, but not right. Well, I like Aaron. And you can make an argument he's hated. Aaron. I think Volka's answer would be Flock. I'm almost positive about that. He genuinely yeah. likes Flock. Yeah. Mm, I mean, Colt isn't very well-liked, but I don't think he's hated. And yes, I don't know if I have a non-popular opinion compared to the masses, at least. But we'll see. I'm sure somebody will call me out in the comment section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we talk about hating people as well, an unpopular opinion I have is don't like Reiner that much. I tolerate him now. But I didn't like him before, so I guess that's very unpopular. Yeah. <laughs> Rhino stands can... They can send messages to you through Discord. The Discord server. I think that would join, like... <laughs> uh, just come insult me, and I guess that's better for Mutaku. And... Well, I never liked Ani, and I still don't really care for her. Maybe that's some popular opinion. I think she was the most popular of the Rhino Bird Ani trio. She's cool, though. Oh, the most hated character that I like is Bertolt. Of course, it's Bertolt. I love him. Is he really <laughs> hated, though? I don't say people hate him. Just don't care about him. Really. Oh. Well, maybe that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Polka. We appreciate it. Well, I think that finishes our podcast. Um, yeah, I think it does as well. Any closing words from you, Leslie? You already know what I'm going to say. Aaron, Aaron Yeager. Did nothing wrong. <sighs> Rise up. They can't stop us. They can't take all <laughs> of us. Come out of the closet. You can't cancel all of us. <laughs> you can't. You can't call all <laughs> of us fascist. You can call enough of us fascists, but when all of us are there, you can't call everyone a fascist. Uh. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Leslie. It's been wild. <laughs> Likewise.
So thank you for listening to the podcast. We appreciate all the support we receive. We thank Leslie for being with us. And also, we wanted to thank our existing Patreons, Kenny Hughes, Miranda Kate, Simon Cox, and Taryn. We um, are going to try to be working, uh, reworking our Patreon. I know we've been neglectful of that and um, just really appreciate the fact that uh, we're getting that support. Wanted to let you all know that. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing. Leave a like and share this video with your friends and family also enjoy SNK. We would really appreciate it. As always, thank you for offering your hearts and your ears. And until next month, bye. Bye. Leslie, you have to say bye. Yeager's Unite. Uh. <laughs>
about like like the videos he made of like Aaron during yeah. like the post time skip and like the scenes he's talking. It's basically like a propaganda video. Like with the swelling music and shit. It's like, come on. <laughs> come on. You couldn't okay, you couldn't so make obviously that. this podcast, we're gonna what what we're gonna do, we're gonna do a um a fox in and we're gonna have a big thumbnail that says soul madness loyalties revealed as our thumbnail <laughs> and people are going to yeah. listen through oh, and three then hours. We, we take this quote from soul and we put it in the thumbnail yep yep, yep. yep. That's, <laughs> that's the thumbnail teaser right there did you want to read what he just typed thanks to isayama i know love genocide and fascism <laughs> <laughs> poor soul listen okay you don't you don't need any more of a publication for that any marketing more than him just coming out as a closet agorist i mean we will finally get like a million hits or something hopefully this gets onto the into the podcast but i do hope that every agorist who can hear my voice <laughs> <laughs> you're so okay go Aaron, ahead send the message to all my subjects Aaron. i hope that you find the bravery to come out <laughs> and expose yourselves that's the point our Lord and Savior, Aaron Yeager, because they have co- tried to question us and silence us and calling us extremists. But we know freedom is important. <laughs> we are free. <laughs> <laughs> just, just mass comment under this video when it's uploaded and just show our numbers because we won't stand to be silenced. They're not going to... SJW us, we are we are more than them, even though sh- they don't realize it. He's not the monster of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, okay. I think I've started a firestorm and I don't know how to stop it, so <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it there. Yes, and everyone who doesn't agree with me is bigger. Mm-hmm. Because Aaron is black and I am black, so equal. <laughs> You're racist. So. so I have to support Aaron Yeager or else I'm a racist. Yeah. Okay. Of course you're a racist. That's how this works. Mm-hmm. Banzai. <laughs> <laughs>